Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime Made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The B-Side for the Film Stage. I am Dan Mecca with Connor O'Donnell. As always, Connor, how's it going? Oh, I'm great. I'm just great, Dan. <laughs> that was a change of pace. I wasn't ready for it. Um, <laughs> so this is an exciting episode and one we've been kind of excited to do for a little while. We have a return guest, but not 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 any return guest. We have a, we have a guy who he... He makes movies, he produces movies, he talks about movies. He was on our Sylvester Stallone episode. We talked about Paradise Alley, filmmaker, producer, director, Chad Harbaugh is with us. Chad, what's up? How are you? Hey, guys. Uh, uh, I'm great. Uh, I'm really happy to be back. Um, uh, this is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Um, so right. I'm excited to dive in and thanks for uh, inviting me back. Yeah, and you're 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 on location, so we appreciate you taking the time. The filmmaker we're going to talk about today is Brian De Palma, the great Brian De Palma. And obviously, as you know, if you listen to it here at the B side, we talk about movie stars or movie directors, not the not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we're going to talk about um, Phantom of the Paradise, which is kind of an early movie that helps put him on the map pre Carrie, right? Pre. Um, you know, obsession, yeah, sisters, it's, those it's things. It's sort of a cheat outside of what we would sure. normally do, but it's just such a fucking too, too, wild Yeah, too movie. good not to talk yeah. about. And yeah. then we're going to go, I think, a true B-side, Casualties of War, um, late 80s, starring Michael J. Fox, Sean Penn, written by David Mamet, right? We'll get into it. One um, of the most upsetting movies of all time. Oh, a movie that, like, I would recommend with the caveat of, like, just playing to, like, Never watch it again, like we were talking sure. about before we started sure. recording. Um, and then, and then we'll dig into Femme Fatale and the Black Dahlia. And then Connor's going to do a, a tight five yeah, on I'm do uh, a a Mission like, to Mars. I'm going to do like a Letterman five on Mission to Mars. <laughs> uh, but um, all right. So before we get into De Palma, we wanted to talk, Chad, with you about. So as we're speaking, a movie that you directed, wrote and directed, um, called Private Property which came out earlier this year. It's currently available to watch on Hulu as we record and as you're listening. And um, it's, so there's a lot to talk about. It's, it's, it's a great little indie noir, but it's like a sun-soaked noir, right? It's kind of more in the, the framework than the, than the kind of the lighting design as it were. Right. But there's, there's a lot of De Palmy stuff in it, like we were talking about, and it's actually a remake of a really interesting movie that came out in 1960. So I guess, I guess tell us a little bit about Private Property, and we'll kind of get into it for a few minutes. Sure. Um, you know, Private Property, I'll, I'll talk about my version first, and then kind of sure. I can explain, like, how it kind of came to be. But um, it stars Ashley Benson and Shiloh Fernandez, uh, Logan Miller, and Frank Whaley, and uh, Jay Farrow. And is about a uh, kind of lonely uh, housewife and and wannabe actress uh, who's living in a kind of uh, nice uh, McMansion kind of in uh, Beverly Hills. 
and uh, she is sort of idly goes by her days and, you know, has the occasional audition and whatnot. And uh, her husband's kind of a big movie producer, but they, uh, he, you know, they've decided together that, you know, he's not going to kind of help her in her career because, you know, she should get it on her own. Um, and as she, as he's sort of out of town for work all the time, she starts to have feelings for a guy that works uh, for her at her house. Um, and those sort of feelings develop and uh, there's a lot of kind of sexual tension. And uh, then as we kind of go uh, through the story, we start to realize that he isn't what he seems. And then we kind of double back and kind of tell his story and how he ended up getting there. And then it, the two stories kind of collide in the end into a sort of, uh, you know, violent uh, 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 climax. So the, uh, the original film is, uh, is a great little kind of cheapy noir, like in the, in the vein of like Detour or like The Hitchhiker. It's a little later. It's a little on the tail end of that, which is also fun because it bring, it's kind of in that mode, but, but then it starts to bring in some of the kind of like French new wave ideas and like Cassavetti's ideas that were starting to kind of percolate at the time. 100%, and, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, it was made in the director, Leslie Stevens made in, made at his house, uh, starring his wife, uh, and then starring, uh, Corey Allen from, uh, from rebel without a cause and, uh, Warren Oates in his first role ever, which is how I saw it. Um, I ended up seeing it at a Warren Oates like triple feature at uh, film at Lincoln Center back in like 2017, uh, where they showed that in a new restoration and Cockfighter and Dillinger, which was like an awesome day. And I was like looking for a kind of, uh, you know, contained, I wanted to write a kind of contained thriller, which is like always a good thing to have as a, you know, independent filmmaker. Like those are, the, the, that's something that you can get made. Um, and I thought this movie had really good, a really good structure and really cool characters and kind of had a lot of interesting ideas about like, you know, the, the kind of like sexuality meeting violence and sort of, you know, these kind of great things that are, you know, in the best noirs. Um, and so I kind of took that. Uh, movie. I bought it on Blu-ray and I transcribed it. And then I had the, because the screenplay wasn't available. And then uh, I had the idea to kind of change the perspectives. And, uh, you know, I think in the original film, it's told linearly. So you're, you're very aware the whole time of kind of the main character's uh, uh, plans and his kind of like, you know, how nefarious he is. And then I wanted to kind of flip the switch on that and see, and, you know, kind of, try to make her a bit more of the protagonist and kind of see him through her eyes and then, uh, and then kind of turn it around on us halfway through. And then they kind of like meet in the middle. So it, it, it offered an interesting um, uh, uh, ability to uh, kind of change perspectives. And then that me meant that the story changed. Yeah. And then like, along with that, like bringing in, you know, lots of other sort of influences, like, um, De Palma and even like Lynch in certain uh, instances and some of the dream sequence stuff. It's like a sprinkling and, of American gigolo in there too. A little, yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And like, and also the, the, and then we, the actress thing, like in the original, she's not an actress. So like, that's where we get a little bit of kind of body double uh, 
sort of meta uh you know uh, if i want it was my first movie i ever made in los angeles so i wanted it to be about movies in some way um including like me playing a director at the end uh which we'll get to with uh, the black dahlia um right. but anyway so uh you know it's a it's a kind of like fun nasty sleazy little like neo-noir erotic thriller with some also with some 80s vibes and like uh you know sort of Tangerine Dream inspired score by Com Trues. It's a great and, score. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, the the Com Trues, the uh, the electronic musician, did it. And uh, yeah, I think it's like a cool little movie, and I hope people will check it out. Uh, it's on Hulu now, so it's really easy to watch. You know what? It reminded me totally different, totally different vibe. But in terms of kind of a movie that can be discovered in that way, who was who directed that movie? Gemini with Zoe Kravitz. Oh, what totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he's Aaron great. Katz? That movie's really Is cool. It Aaron, yeah, Katz? Aaron Katz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great little movie, too. And it's sim like very different. Like, you guys are obviously making totally different choices aesthetically and whatever. But, like, similarly, like, just very much kind of I could recommend it to anybody type of a thing because it's such a nifty little piece of pulp, right, that cool. most people, right, would be like – entertained by right and i think yeah. you know what's interesting about the original just because i was we me, me and connor were saying we we watched both today in preparation and what's interesting about the original is like when it came out in 1960 they a lot of people didn't let it screen right like a lot no. of the ratings boards were really disturbed not, not unlike a brian de palma movie it's but, like yeah, very, yeah. Like, and i mean because yeah. it really was part of the you know it came out the same year as psycho right so it like it kind yeah. of was part of that like it was like a sex thriller you know yeah. and like i mean this is on wikipedia so who knows how true it is but like apparently you know the kennedy saw it and were like aghast by it right uh, right yeah i read that which, which, well, and, which and it, you gotta and and like i was reading like we were talking off mic beforehand like you know the clutter family murders that becomes in cold blood that happens in 59 right so it's oh, like wow, sure if you yeah. think about historically like all of this shit's happening where it's like tate tate labianca's a few years away in cold blood is about to be a cultural like juggernaut in the mid sixties, the murders, the, the murders that that book and movie are based on happened the year before private property, the original comes out. So it really speaks to this funny moment of like, everything's about to change pretty radically. And like, you're right. Psycho is going to like explode the same year. And I think in updating it, you make some smart decisions. Like you said, you change the kind of the narrative structure of the film and you change the perspective to kind of more be focused on her which I think is smart for for 2022, of yeah, course. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to give her a little bit more dignity and also kind of like a dream, you know? Like I say, I call, I said she's like a housewife. She's not really, I mean, that, that's like what the original woman is. Was, yeah. She's just like an unemployed actress or whatever that's kind of like lazing around this mansion, you know? Um, and uh, And like, so I just wanted to give her a little bit more kind of agency and I wanted her to make, more of a choice to kind of like go, you know, to pursue things with this guy, you know, uh, against her best judgment. And I mean, I don't know, it's up to people to judge or not if you like buy that she would be into him. But like, you know, at, there's a whole part where like she, ha you know, releases her short film on uh, on like No Budge or whatever, which Kentucker was nice enough to give me the permission to use. Uh, and like her husband doesn't even give a shit. 
And this guy uh, watches it. And like Ashley and I always joke that like, of course she falls in love with him. He watched her film. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, Which honestly, like, I mean, and, yeah. anyone in the kind of knows very, that like, very it's relatable. very relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. very relatable. The minute um, that scene happens, I was like, well, I mean, yeah. He, yeah, he looks mean, he like he looks like it. He looks like Shella Fernandez and he watched her movie. I feel like that's <laughs> that's a lot. There's a lot happening there. Yeah. And he's and great was, too. He was in, so he was in, Another movie you directed, which is a is a good movie, uh, long long night, short mornings, right? Yes, which... he's the star of my previous movie, Long Night, Short Mornings, that I directed, and uh, yeah, a great friend of mine, and uh, also produced Private Property with me and helped oh, right, uh, right. develop the script, and uh, and yeah, and he's got he's yeah he's got to his he's wedding got... in a week. Congratulations, oh, you are. Oh, 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 yeah, go. congratulations, yeah. Shella, if you're listening. Yeah, it's he he's got a perfect for this movie, right? He's got a perfect like. He's very handsome, but he in this movie he he's off a little bit. Like well, it's he, like, yeah, he's got, he he's got good he's got yeah. good dirtbag energy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for 100%, sure. Hundred percent. Like and I, well, I almost mean that as in like capital G good dirtbag, right? Like like where you're like, oh, this guy's It'd like be, a little I sleazy, could, but I like could fix him. Yeah, yeah, and him. like or even if he's your buddy, you'd be like, oh, like yeah, he's kind of all fucked up, but he's a nice guy. I swear. Like, yeah, it's, I mean. <laughs> basically our whole relationship i mean like now you know but i mean more more like you know seven years ago but like you know now he's uh, about to be happily married to a lovely woman but like yeah for sure and like that's why i wrote it like i watched this movie and i was like watching Corey allen do it and i was like oh man shiloh could kill that part you know totally, and like totally. and so that was kind of the the seeds of it or whatever um and yeah that that's what was exciting and i am excited for people to see him in the movie because i think it like really uh i think it really shows uh uh uh, i think it really showcases his talent and i mean ashley also is great and like she really um i think she's like a very smart actor and uh and was is like it was like very excited to work on this and just kind of like really dove in and like uh just uh super professional and like really easy to work with and yeah i love ashley that's awesome. Yeah. So, so this is all good. So this is all, this is, it can be a segue into Phantom of the Paradise, right? Which is to say, Connor, why don't you sure give us the, the, you know, the cliff notes yeah, on the, Phantom because the, there's a lot going on, but yeah, but this yeah. is 74. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, De Palma has already made, you know, get to know your rabbit. He's already made, um, you know all the movies with De Niro, Greetings and High Mom, 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 which is which I was High Mom's say, a, high, a highlight, I think. High Mom I was going to say Phantom of the Paradise is his first masterpiece, but I think it might be High High Mom. But High yeah, Mom's High Mom's kind of hard to forget. Yeah, he does it's, Sisters um, right in '72, same year yeah. as Get to Know Your Rabbit. Oh, I forgot Sisters yeah. came up before this. Oh yeah. wow! Um, all right, so Phantom That's of the why Paradise. This movie is a little bit of a weird outlier in a way, it is. as he's sort of. Get going into the De Palma that feels like what everybody knows yeah, him to be, yes, which yeah. is like Sisters Obsession Carrie. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, but this movie is incredible. I think the line of demarcation, if we, if we were to treat this like we usually do our traditional subjects where, you know, the the like where De Palma becomes De Palma and he's the I think the line of demarcation is probably Carrie, I would say. And this yes, is and certainly in the in the public eye as yeah, well. Yeah. Like and, that's that's yeah. And this is um, it's an interesting one because I feel like listeners might 
probably be like, well, that's not a B side because like the I, I feel like the Internet fucking loves this movie. Right. Sure, and so sure. It's yeah. not necessarily going to be a discovery for some people. I just wanted to do it because it just feels it's such a weird fucking thing. And I think it's so great that it exists. But um, it's basically it's a rock musical comedy horror and it's essentially <laughs> it's it's all those things. It is all of those it things. It is all those yeah. things. And it's basically like some version of Phantom of the Opera meets Dorian Gray meets Faust, kind of all rolled into one. And William Finley, who is a longtime buddy of De Palma's, he has since passed away. His last film, I believe, was The Black Dahlia, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, he plays the uh, he plays. The lead, Winslow Leach, who is a kind of a dweeby composer who writes this whole thing, this whole like opera based on Faust. And essentially, um, Paul Williams, who is like an incredible, legendary music producer and songwriter, uh, you know, for movie wrote Evergreen. Right. Uh among many, many, many other notable things. Um, shout out to my girl. I like, shouted my, that out for you, my, Dan, my for, star, for Babs, Babs. But my queen. Um, I mean, his his performance and the music in this movie yeah, are he, incredible. Yeah, he wrote all the music for the movie, and uh, I believe was nominated for an Oscar That's for right. it. Um, for the music, yes, yeah. I think it cool. got. I think it got score. I don't know if. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but he also was the Phantom's singing voice, but. Anyway, Paul Williams plays uh, this producer named Swan who runs a company called Death Records. And the whole thing is kind of just this satire on the music industry and whatever. And he basically he has made this kind of deal with the devil and ropes William Finley's character into it. Uh, also kind of roped into it is Jessica Harper, who is this like lovely singer named Phoenix, who William Finley falls for. And as I just also love that Jessica Harper is in this and Suspiria is like yeah, the funny, yeah. like that she was such an essential part of like 70s, yeah. like weird horror, like esca like just like you get a let's lot. Let's change the medium in two different places yeah, and have yeah. Jessica I, and I Harper be the star. Part of it is of it. You, get, you get so much for your money for with Jessica Harper. Like I know she's great in this movie. Like her, she's got just a wonderful singing voice. I think an, an incredible presence. Um, yeah. A, adds a real nice bit of like earnestness to this movie that I think mm -hmm. I think in like the Internet film Twitter world kind of gets lost. I think there's a lot of like ironic love for this movie. But like I I want also just I this was my first time seeing this movie. Mm. So like oh, in, in yeah, prep dude. for it, I was just like, this is lovely. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really kind of no, it's like it. a heartbreaking movie. Yeah. It's about I mean, I think it's really interesting in terms of like of his follow-up to sisters which is kind of his first like hit kind of yeah, even like definitely. like mini hit and it's like i think this can totally be read as like a sort of satire of his like experiences in dealing with hollywood for the first yeah, time yeah. essentially yeah and i i think and, sorry keep going no just like and and i just you know william finley like is such a kind of you don't think of it this way because you're thinking of like the you know the palm and the documentary and holy mackerel but i feel like He's a real avatar of De Palma, like especially if you hear him describe himself as this kind of like sure. computer nerd, and like you know he he thinks of himself as like the Keith Gordon part in um, Dress to Kill. Oh sure, and you can yeah. totally see how he would like this that 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 uh, 
that uh, William Finley was like a real muse for him. Yeah. And I would just shout out to the De Palma doc, literally just called De Palma. It's uh, it's under 90 minutes. If you it's are great. kind of getting interested in Brian De Palma for the first time, it's like a great crash course. I would say the one tough thing is like he t- he t- he talks about all of his movies. So like if you haven't seen any of them, he straight up spoils a ton of them. That said, I don't really think it necessarily ruins them because you're hearing certain things straight from the horse's mouth. But it is a great, I think, kind of one on one on Brian De Palma. So just shout out to that real quick. But yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think this movie kind of teed up for me what became my thesis as we were prepping for this, which is that I don't think people think of Brian De Palma as a sentimental filmmaker, but I mm. think he is like that first. Like I think the and part of the reason his movies have the aesthetics that they do is because everything is based on like sentiment and feeling, right? Like he is more concerned with with getting across the way something feels than the way it actually should be, right? And I think that's really interesting. And like a, a casualty of war is going to be a great potential example of that. Sure, but sure. like you could definitely make the argument that a lot of these camera tricks are about like getting the viewer into the character's brain and I, eyes. I feel like that's what it is almost in every film, right? Like, right. like it's, it's all a matter of, of that sort of uh, empathy, like generating empathy for like the characters in question. Well, I think that's why body double, you know, which obviously isn't a isn't a B side, but that's why something like Body Double can read very disturbing for someone like me who you know horror isn't my first you know my first choice as a film goer. But like the thing about Body Double is it feels very intrusive, right? I mean, like it feels yeah. you feel very much like like uncomfortable, one, uncomfortable, yeah. like because you're like. You, you feel like you're understanding kind of the motivations of what's happening with this, you know, this driller killer and, and like, and, and everything. And like, you know, shout out to Abel Farrar, another movie, but like, but like, um, I think the aesthetics get you there. And even like something like dress to kill, like, you know, who's whatever, whose politics have aged, you know, in a, in a, in a tough way, but even still I'd recommend it to anybody because I think he's searching for something there that was progressive at the time. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and I think De Palma doesn't always get enough credit for like pushing the envelope. I think people think he's pushing the envelope for the sake of it, just pushing the envelope. Right. And like I find that a, to be not true. He's a, really. He's it's a, like, he is a provocateur, but like not for the sake with reason. Of it, right. Yeah. yeah, with, yeah but yeah, I think yeah. it, and I, but I think it's like genuine. Like I yeah. think it, these are his obsessions. These are his, yeah. Dare I say fetishes? Like sure. there, there's sure. like something I kind of love about him is that like, and I not in a criminal way, but he's a little bit of a pervert, and like he sort yeah. of like like he likes like looking at things, and like he's just a kind of like, and you feel that's a personal filmmaking touch. It's not about him like trying to provoke people i don't think i think he's just trying to put like capture his obsession yeah what well, remind me doesn't it remind you chat it reminds me of the michael powell thing with peeping tom right where like totally. you know powell and pressburger make all these movies that are like revered and look they're great movies matter life and death black narcissus colonel blimp people pop all these movies it right? is insane that like the per, one and a half of the people that made those movies which are some of the most beautiful movies like both emotionally and visually that have ever been made also yep. made like 
something that like rivals psycho in how sick and disgusting and like upsetting it is but like but like michael michael powell not unlike a pasolini talking about solo or whatever he's like look this was how i conveyed this thing i was exploring that is of interest to me right it's this is a this is fiction like this is fiction this is a film but like this is the conduit through which are genuine yes yeah and i think that's 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 the the crux of all of it and just in as it relates to like something like phantom of the paradise which is maybe you know his his most you know sentimental in a romantic way kind of movie um, I agree, but like I think you could make an argument for Carlito's way as well. Sure, I sure. Think, yeah, I yeah. think that and Blowout have really tragic romantic endings. You know, that's um, a, but yeah. yes, but you're right. Though. Yeah. I, I say this because I feel like this one more specifically is like a part of that longing as its like direct plot, I suppose. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think part of it is that yeah, I, I think there's a lot of love for De Palma. And look, any any love is good love. And I'm not going to tell people how to watch movies. But I do think a lot of it is spurned from like an an, an irony, right? Like a, a, a sort of like, oh, this is like kind of bad and trashy, but I love it kind of thing. And I don't know, in rewatching a bunch of these movies and specifically Phantom, I kind of was like, no, like he's like feeling these things. Like he's like, mm-hmm. he's like this is all done in earnest. And that I think is the is the big big difference between him and like either other imitators of him or like other people who try to do like the trashy hitchcock thing i think you're i think that's a really good point and like to bring it back to private property and i am not claiming to have succeeded here at all but like and trust me many people have told me that i haven't but i definitely (laughs) try that's what i was trying to do like i was trying to thread the needle between like kind of having like a sort like a bit of a like trashy B movie, like plot, you know, especially plot and like, see if you could do genuine feeling with like kind of elevated aesthetics and like it, whether we succeeded or not is the, for the viewer to decide, but like, it's, it's, it's a high degree of difficulty, you know, to oh, like yeah. make something like body double or dress to kill or blow out that like kind of thread this needle of like, it's it's kind of purient and but it's also kind of incredible and like with the highest level of aesthetic command and craft command uh while also maintaining some like degree of emotionality like damn dude like that's, that's no and there's tough. i mean there's what i mean in terms of like major and i'm sure i'm gonna skip over people and forget people but like in terms of other contemporary like directors who could do something similar is it it's like Lynch and Cronenberg are like the only well, other. I think, you I, know, think like, I think Sh- I think Schrader sure is more interested in he some. Feels, so a lot of people would colder, argue, that though. Sh- I guess is my yeah, point. And yeah, and I think like, a lot of people would argue that Schrader's uh, not and wouldn't be me, but uh, that Schrader's sort of genre exercises are his like are kind of his like least successful. Like I'm thinking of like the Canyons or like I just watched Forever Mine. Um, you know, uh, I, I think cat people like more people, uh, correctly, uh, realize as a masterpiece, but like, you know, Schrader, like kind of came out of a period of like, you know, a lot of years of getting no respect until he made like a non-genre movie first reformed. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah, well, um, I think I, what I was going to say is I think perhaps a difference in the two of them is 
in a lot of Schrader's movies, there's more of an, an overt socioeconomic like thing he's grasping onto. I think you know De Palma, the interiority is so front and center, and obviously some of his movies are very political. I'm not saying they're not. Yeah, but I'm saying I mean that. that De, yeah, that De Palma is, the is interested in the internal, right? Like, yeah. and I think. Not that Schrader's not, but I think even in stuff like American Gigolo and whatnot, think, he's touching on larger uh, themes I think as well. De, I think De Palma's better practiced with the genre tropes because he's less afraid of them, right? Like he's he's not afraid to just do something because it works in the genre and it works for story, even if well, it might, it's because even if it he might can be make, like, you know, he, I don't know. Like, he can make anything work with a camera. I mean, like we're basically talking about like if you're talking about the best craftsman, just pure craftsman that's ever lived, like he has to be in the conversation. Like, sure. Um, Undisputably, he's he's like a master technician. Like it's not I don't even think it's. Well, right. I mean, look, and like then, literally yeah. the first, you know, six and a half minutes of the Bonfire of the Vanities is like some of the most interesting, like what he's doing with that one shot opening is like. It's you know, pe people talk about these new movies and what they're doing, Children of Men, blah, blah, blah. And it's great. And I, I'm not right. I, I get it. OK, I totally get it. And it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting. Birdman. Fine. But what he <laughs> but the shit that he's no. doing in Bonfire, I'm just saying I'm just I'm pointing out new ones. But yes. my point is my point is simply they're not doing anything, in my opinion, remotely close to the first six and a half minutes of the Bonfire of the Vanity. Right. I mean, it's, that it's was not even, on by everybody. Which I finally watched. I was I thought you might do that one, which I I finally watched when uh they did the Karina Longworth series on it. Um, and uh, I won't quite mount a you know it it's good actually defense, but like I almost am there. Yeah. I mean I think that I don't, like, even, I don't even think Brian De Palma would either. You know like no. he, uh, even in, but, the, in yeah. that doc he kind of says like look if you've never heard of the book. It might be a pretty good movie, like, right? Which yeah. I haven't read the book, yeah. so maybe there's that. Yeah. But I do think that there's something to, to to get at about De Palma's kind of comedies and his political movies. That like you have, you can't just you can't just ignore to talk about the sex thrillers. You know what I'm saying? Sure, like totally. it's all part of the soup. And I haven't seen Wise Guys, which is probably his most overt comedy. But like you know, Hi Mom is like a political comedy and yeah. is one of his best movies and like i think you know we'll get to casualties of war and then even redacted uh like are pretty radically radical political movies yeah i think i mean i think that's a good that's a good segue so between phantom and casualties of war he becomes brian de palma right like you, you know you we have obsession and then you have carrie which like we said is probably like the the defining moment where he's the fury. I the fury. I think is a dope as hell movie. No, I, I don't know I, if you guys. Okay. I so love fury the fury. You wanna, you, Dan, do you want to do a quick ninety seconds no, on the I fury? Mean, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I mean the 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 fury. If memory serves, the Palma will regards it as a money job, right? It's like very much he he, you know, he worked with some great actors. You know, it's an interesting movie. I don't think he would even say it's one of his best movies, but I think it's like that's a detriment to the fury. I, mean, I think the fury is like a great exercise and like if you're gonna do one for them like you know take yeah. them for all they're worth well, like you know I use like, use every toy they'll let you I get i feel like you know a lot I mean? of like, his one for them's you know, are all kind of like that though right like a little, like mission to mars is like that yeah, too yeah, yeah. right yes, like exactly yeah, like yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. a thing of like well you're doing this thing you might as well fucking just, just take the biggest swing at it that you like possibly Cassavetes can. Like you know? is so good in the Fury. I mean, like, can you imagine how much Cassavetes hated working with <laughs> Brian De Palma? 
Like, oh, it's, I mean, uh, a, a man who like, or basically Douglas, they like... don't, they don't credit a cinematographer cause it's whoever picked up the camera. And like, you know, you can see lights and shots in half of his movies <laughs> and like, you know, being made to stand, you know, within an inch of his life, wherever they told him to. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Cassavet. I mean, they, they talked about that, like you know, Cassavetes and Falk on the, uh, you know, the It Two D in uh, in Black episode, the Columbo the Columbo oh, yeah, episode, yeah, yeah, where yeah. like they Falk was always really tough to deal with on those sets because he came from Cassavetes in theater and like he just couldn't handle like you know filming for TV, and then to have them both on that set where they were like <laughs> thick as thieves, just like this fucking sucks. Let's They're get just a drink. Terrorizing like, just whoever like... the director is. Oh my yeah. god! It is a great yeah. Columbo episode. It's a great. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great. I gotta, I gotta dig into it's Columbo, good. dude. It's yeah. good. Um, um, I no, I love the Fury. I I remember. I'll just quickly, but like the Fury was like always. I first kind of got into De Palma, like, uh, you know, in like really deep into it in college. And then, you know, we'll get to the Black Dahlia, which I saw with all my college classmates in the sophomore year. But Slant Magazine did like this great uh, De Palma retrospective around that time. And like the Fury was the one that they sort of like said was a sort of line in the sand between like De Palma maniacs and like casual fans. And like, I always kind of took that to heart and like, it, the Fury is kind of like, um, like an even more De Palma e carry because they're like very sure. similar themes. Sure. Um, they're both like menstrual panic movies, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but like, uh, you know, uh, the I don't know. I just think the Fury is like the coolest movie. Well, and, and look, the and look to 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 move towards Casualties of War. The thing about the Fury, right, is it's a big hit, right? So I think that really helps. And then he basically cashes in on that to make home movies which is like a very weird and you were talking about keith gordon um in dress to kill in terms of like de palma surrogates uh-huh. and i, think and I also, haven't seen home movies That's okay, one of the okay, only ones home, mo- home yeah. moody home movies very much is that right where you isn't have, that kind of like it's like almost like that nick ray movie we can't go home again where it's kind of just like them fucking around with students at a school and like kind of exactly. like putting on a show or whatever yeah okay. it's like kirk douglas is this eccentric teacher filmmaker or if is am i right about that i'm looking it up no i think and, you're right but it's and, not a documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. i guess and but yeah no okay. but he made it he basically made it with so it's a it's about that and de palma made it with the students he was teaching okay that's cool and so he does that he does um obviously dressed to kill that same and year then, he does yeah. blow out and so like now he's making hits right then it's I like i mean this is the de palma that right. people know yeah it's like yeah. Body you know, doubles the next year, Scarface. It is, it is like yeah. a crazy run, too, especially. The Untouchables. Like, yeah. I mean, Wise Guys is in there, but The Untouchables, yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen Wise Guys? I, oh, yeah. So I have, uh, I saw it a long time ago when we did, when the film stage did like the Summer of De Palma thing like where they we were publishing essays uh, like mm-hmm. we, we did an weekly. essay for every yeah. De Palma movie. And, oh, cool. Uh, so I haven't watched it since, but um, so George George Gallo wrote that. Who wrote yeah. Midnight Run? He wrote Bad oh, yeah. Boys. How is, it good? How is it? It's, is it good? It's it's kind of it's 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 a it's a meh gangster kind of comedy that has a little bit of flourish to it thanks to De Palma. I think you know put Gallo on the map, um, who's someone I actually know a little bit in my life. He like has an, a a very vague attachment to my family because uh, we all come we all come from the same place. But but Gallo. He like went out to Hollywood and like sold Wise Guys and like 
the rest is history. Like he's still making movies to this day. Right. You know? and, yeah. and, um, and, um, it's got some stuff in it, but it's definitely very like, it you does, know, cliche. I mean, it does and what feel like you. what it is, which is, you know, and if you watch the De Palma documentaries, this, but like, it is a, it's a palate cleanser between like after body double. Right? I mean, like, the funniest thing about wise, and the untouchables. The, yeah. the funniest thing about wise guys in the culture is it's a Joe Piscopo vehicle, which is just so funny. <laughs> sure. Like he was, you know, if you, if people listening don't know who Joe Piscopo is, then you might not. It's like the, he was like a schmo from like where I'm from, where like George Gallo's from, who like got on SNL. He's just like an Italian dude who like played second fiddle to Eddie Murphy, the funniest person in the world. And also Joe Pisco was there and all kind of funny. Right. And then <laughs> okay. and, and the star from, Jer- from Jersey. Yeah. I don't know. It's from, I don't know from Jersey, from I can, I can Jersey or from like, or from like just yeah, uh, like, North I, New yeah, York city. That's so funny. And it also, I feel like it's legacy is also like the reason Goodfellas is called Goodfellas. Yeah, because, because the book was called Wise Guy. The book was called Wise Guy, singular, but like guy, it had yeah. just it had just come like out. It was close yes, he's from that, he's like, from Passaic, New Jersey. Just yeah, to, baby. Just to put yeah. put a button on that. I think Piscopo was a big Republican now. Surprise, surprise. But but um, <laughs> but like the point being, Murphy's shine shone so bright that the second most popular guy on SNL like also got movies because Murphy was such a big star. Like, <laughs> and so Piscopo had a nice little career and then he stopped acting and that's fine. But, but wise guys is an interesting curio kind of in the middle of like us all-star run. And then he really cashes all of that in with casualties of war. Right. Which... And I mean the untouchable and well, yeah. And after, and the untouchables being, probably the biggest hit of his career i would imagine probably. oh other than mission, mission. Yeah, I think oh, until, the mission. Until, uh, but at that time yeah. probably cer- like certainly right yeah and, and am so can, i right to th- are there yeah, people ahead. that think the untouchables is bad because i keep, also he, i i didn't like it for a long time i think but oh my god my, here's my here's here's <laughs> so awesome no here, here's here's now. my thing I just, yeah, uh, yeah i was gonna say i <laughs> I lo- I love a lot of his movies. I really like The Untouchables. I think my thing with The Untouchables is like I would put fourteen of his movies above it. Like, and that's not to say The Untouchables. I, hear that. Isn't. I don't know if I'd put that many, but it also has a special place in my heart because I, I when I was a kid, The Untouchables and Mission Impossible were two of my favorite movies in the sure. world. I owned both of them on VHS, and I remember the day. I realized they were made by the same man and I was like, <laughs> your head exploded. Holy and, yeah. shit. Uh, sure. like, no one, no wonder I love these two movies so much. And they have this like kind of similar feeling to them that I can't even describe. And it's totally. like these like cool camera moves and shit, you know? And then you like, uh, you know, I think that there's, especially like say the, you know, battle, whatever the grand central station sequence and, or not grand central, but, uh, See, whatever yeah, the union station i think it's supposed yeah, to be. Union yeah station chicago set union sequence, station yeah. like that is like there there are equivalent set pieces in mohawk in uh in mission impossible you know like, oh yeah and oh, yeah. i feel like i sort of like i i like realized that subconsciously like when i was you know 10 or 11 years old or something i i will again direct people to the De Palma doc but there is a great anecdote about that whole sequence and how it came to be um yeah, he it, like improvised it, yeah, right? Like yeah. it's insane. It's, yeah, it's that that when you learn that, you're like, oh yeah, maybe. Well, he it's the thing. Well, I mean, it's the thing. Like what we were like saying Spielberg, about before, like, like Spielberg, Luke, Lucas, Coppola, like they always say the thing of like, look, the genius is Brian. 
right? They yeah, always yeah, do yeah. that. They, they always say which that. I and always, they, which is always fascinating and so cool of them because, like, in a well, way, they say, right. Well, because like, the whole thing, know, what I love I mean, is, like, Spielberg literally has said, he's like, look, Brian is an actual genius. He just doesn't know how to play ball. Like, literally, like, that's yeah, what, no, like, Spielberg that, yeah. has said. And, like, and also, like, he doesn't happen to have the gift that, like, Spielberg has, which is, like, the thing that is most personal to him and, like, his express, like, genuine expression as an artist happens to resonate with everyone on planet yeah, earth right 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 sure sure yeah. no that's Which, like that's a not great that point. many people have that gift you know no, like, it's, it's like the palmas problem is like there are only so many perverts and only it's like perverts. what are you gonna do yeah, exactly <laughs> But um, I think but so I let me that this... by male and female perverts yes. for sure because there are plenty of like yeah. uh, I think that's the sneaky. I mean, female that, De Palma fans. That's the... yeah, many any gender. Of, yeah, absolutely. Of, I think that's the sneaky thing to, to the success to the latter career sort of appreciation of De Palma is like people kind of allowed allowing themselves to be hornier. I think basically is totally. the thing. And then, I love like, that. And yes. then they're like, and then they're like, oh wait, this dude's like horny Spielberg. Like, you know, and you're like, okay. Right. Like, and it's like, it's yeah. sort of like, I mean, this is reductive, but it's like even something like Mission Impossible, which is does have some kind of like genuinely sexy moments in it, but it's sure. like it's just like the way he films everything is sexy. Like sure. the mm-hmm. way he shoots like you know Tom Cruise like lowering into the you know clean room or whatever is sexy. Like he's yeah. just like the the camera is just like uh, I don't know. He, it's just like a he turns everything into a fetish object, like whether it's sexual or not inherently, and like that is like seductive as a viewer. You know, yeah. like he's not. There's not a half-ass shot in any of his movies. Agree. Well, look. I mean, look. The, I mean, this is its own, I guess, controversial truth but like voyeurism is sexy right i mean there's a reason well, it's driven by right that's it's right a, it, there, yeah. there's a reason that it pervades right yeah. and I totally think, and yeah. and voyeurism and cinema have a lot in common you know yeah like, 100%. It's, it's like you know um so, so it, it's like that's and i mean that's where he that's where he that's where he gets from hitchcock you know i yeah. mean i feel like that is the thing that they and I don't know if they ever had a conversation in real life, but like that's the thing that they have in common. I think more than anything, well, obviously look, techni- technical skill, but like in terms of philosophy as artists. And look, people always point to this, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast, but you know, Hitchcock got Hitchcock got to make Frenzy before he died, which is a very perverted movie, and it speaks to what Hitchcock could have done had he lived another decade. I mean, he makes Family Plot after, which totally, is a little, but bit, like, I mean, little bit more Vertigo down the middle. Vertigo is a perverted movie. Sure. Like, yeah, Vertigo 100%. is a sick movie. Like, and I mean that, I mean, it's sick as fuck, but I just mean it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's put, a kind of like disturbed movie. It's put a movie, the, you know. Put on the Blu-ray box set, sick yeah, as yeah. fuck. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I saw, uh, you know, Lynch uh, introduced Vertigo at the IFC Center, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. And like, just to hear him talk about the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it, this is, is where it all kind of comes from, you know. And Lynch doesn't talk about movies that much, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do think that that's there. And then it's like, I mean, to go to Casualties of War, like, speaking of all of this, it's so Speaking of sick as fuck. Weird. Uh... Yeah, I mean then you go like okay like the the you know all these guys i feel like it was kind of in vogue at the time and is maybe still is but like you know all the greatest directors it's like they kind of go through their phases of like oh i'm gonna make my 
romance movie. I'm going to make my war movie, my jungle movie. Like, mm. I'm going to make my sci-fi movie. Like, whatever. We get to Mission, Mission to Mars. And, like, this is Brian De Palma's Vietnam War movie. Like, the most horrific, like, disturbing, like, borderline unwatchable uh, movie about, like, you know, one of the most horrible reported incidents of the war, which, like, of course certainly more horrific shit happened that we don't even know well, about. So, but yeah, like, so you're, so you're referencing, right. So, so just for context, so casualties of war comes out in 1989. I said earlier, it was written by David Mamm and I was thinking of the untouchables, David Rabe, the playwright, uh, wrote the screenplay. David Rabe, a great writer in his own right. Read, read Hurley Burley. If you can, it's a great, oh, yeah, yeah. And very, also, it was, but it was based on a New Yorker. Yeah, like, well, so, right. Sorry, so, yeah. so, so yeah, Daniel Lang, uh, wrote, uh, a article in the New Yorker called casualties of war in 1969. I've read it. It's, you know, it is a absolutely just disgusting account of what's known as the incident on Hill one nine two. It's a gang rape um, and murder of um, Fan Tai Mao, who's a, a, this Vietnamese woman, um, in 1966 by an American squad during the, you know, towards the beginning of the Vietnam War. If memory serves Lang's, you know, report, which came out in 69, you know, three years after the incident, was kind of not the beginning of those reports, but it was right in the heart of what would you know, persist in the counterculture movement and the anti-war movement that, you know, you know, percolated through the late sixties into the seventies where you had these, you know, these terrible incidences happening, you know, and some of them were, you know, born on the 4th of July, which comes out the same year, which is Oliver Stone, which is a friendly fire incident, which is Ron Kovic and kind of that's its own cover up. And that's a little bit of a different thing. This is a little bit more harrowing, obviously, and just the the evil of it. And so basically this movie is an adaptation uh, and, you know, kind of a consideration of that event. And it stars Michael J. Fox really in peak, like Michael J. Fox is trying to do not. Marty McFly, not Alex P. Keaton roles. He does Light of Day with Paul Schrader, speaking of, two years before this. Right? Which I with, still uh, have to see. I'm, which I is a pretty interesting yeah. movie. It's him and Joan Jett. Um, you know, he's pretty good. He does Bright Lights, Big City. I think a couple years before this, the James Bridges movie, which is based on the McEnany novel, which was like a big, big book. You know, Less Than Zero, speaking of the canyons, it was like Less Than Zero, Bright Lights, Big City. It's like the young writers, you know, who were like doing cocaine in New York City, going to fucking, you know, like all those clubs in the in the late 80s. You know, what's his name? And uh, uh, what the fuck is Brady Snells and Jay McEnany? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so this is kind of the end of that, though, because after this, I think think he's like, all right, I'm going to make the secret of my success and Doc Hollywood. And I'm gonna just maybe chill for a minute and it's make, such a you know, bummer because he's so good in this. He's movie really too. good. He's really good. It's such he's an really, incredible performance. And he's really well cast yeah. too. And like obviously, like he's using De Palma's using his he's using his Marty McFlyness like as part of this. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah. And of course, oh, yeah. the there's the famous story of like Penn trying to get him riled up and like during in the middle of the scene and whispers to him in his ear that he's a just a television actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like it's used perfectly and like 
I just think that like this movie was just like too upsetting to everyone that like no one wanted and to I, engage look, with I it. I can't blame I anybody if I'm being honest. You know, like, ten years ago or something like that. Yeah. I'll never watch it. It's on the list of never watch again for yeah, sure. Yeah, like, it, I'll never that, watch it again. I, I would encourage. I would encourage everybody to watch it. It is I think, definitely I think worth it's, watching. It's an it's incredible a great movie. movie. Yeah. But like, well, here, it's well, just and I think yeah, it's a day ruiner. Well, and I and I think and I think what's interesting about you know. So basically, with that, we don't really need to go into the plot. Essentially, I mean that is you know, the plot. yeah, what you, yeah. yeah. Sean Penn is kind of the yin to Michael J. Fox's yang, and you got and young. Penn's Le- incredible in this movie. Too, Penn's great. Sure. You yes. got young Leguizamo. You got young Ving Rhames. Right. You got a you know uh, John C. Riley's in this, and um, and it really it's his just first, pro- his first movie, I think, too. John is that C- right? John C. It, Riley. It, yeah. it, it, portray- it portrays you know this. This gang rape and then murder cover up and then and basically, they are they are they are court so 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 four of them are court martialed at the end of the movie, um, and then and then what ends up happening is um, there's like a penance with Michael J. Fox and um, this Vietnamese student who kind of reminds him of the victim right and it's like this guilt that lingers with him forever right and and so his character erickson is based on robert storby from the lang um piece and obviously from real life but they get court martial do they, but do they go they don't go to prison or anything they right? serve they serve like hard labor one of them goes to okay. life well life i'm remembering in prison. it more cynically than i than it actually happens but uh that's good at least that they're punished in some, then a couple, in some i mean a, 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 well a few of them were right i think okay a lot of obviously the whole you know there's a complicity to the whole you know the whole group of course that goes totally. a bit on you know on um unchecked which i think is also important to say i think it just speaks to how how just like upsetting the movie is that it's just like it just feels like such uh like and it's also it's like you know that this happened like it, it, calling an incident right. at hill 182 or whatever it's like oh my god like how many times did this happen and no <laughs> right, one right, found right. out about it like oh well, and, like Jesus and what, I, and what i was gonna say is what's so what's interesting about this coming out in 89 is right this is like kind of the beginning of the end of the vietnam movie right because totally platoon comes out in 86 it's oliver stone it's based on his own experiences charlie sheen's kind of a surrogate for him right you know stone did go over there blah 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 it wins Best Picture, right? It's an iconic movie, right? It's very, very, very allegorical, right? It's very theatrical. It's very Oliver Stone, right? And I think I love Platoon. Platoon was an important movie for me, but I do think those allegorical kind of theatrical, biblical things do kind of wash over some of the harder truths in platoon yeah, it and i think a little bit and I, I would well say. yeah and i think yeah. it makes it more digestible and it was a huge hit and that speaks to it and then i think you know stone makes the ron kovic story which is its own kind of like you know COVID. which i just rewatched and is i did like a lot like, you know it's a good I, movie I, and yeah. i think like i i think Cruise my point is really is, good in it my point is like in the world of these movies what a shot chaser is casualties of war just at the end we're like we're like the palm is like you know what this is fucking what happened and then everybody's yeah, exactly. like well we're not and they're like, seeing this, don't like, want this. Yeah. and i mean i think we have i mean two things i want to say about this one is it's a great point because what's the next movie that deals with Vietnam? Forrest Gump. 
<laughs> well, yeah. So, so yeah, Stone, Stone, yeah, so Stone, Stone makes you know Stone makes another movie called Heaven and Earth. Heaven with, and Earth, yeah, which no with, one sees, which yeah. nobody sees, and and is an interesting, uh, flawed movie that's actually is, kind, kind of similar to Casualties of War. It's a bit more, kind of a bit more of a personal drama. It, Tommy it's Lee a Jones. little more like spiritual, if I remember. Definitely, kind of. like yeah, right. But but, but is, no, but not, nobody sees it's not it. Sugar it's not sugarcoated, yeah. But you're right. Zemeckis really is the one who kind of, you know, puts a Capra-like spin, and that's kind of insulting to Frank Capra. I, I like Forrest Gump for what it is. I, I kind of think of it as a, um, I think of it as a satire. I know that some no, some people for sure. don't. And I don't want to litigate. You know, I think there's plenty to like about Forrest Gump as well. But like, particularly, it's just like thinking about the next time, like. Like a lot of mainstream movie right, audiences like a were, audience. had, had to like yeah. reckon with Vietnam was like through the lens of that. Well, and look, right? Hanks, look, he had to save Bubba, right? And he went back there, and he, and sure he got did. him, man. He got him, yeah. dude. But I so. do want to touch on before we move to Femme Fatale, like we should touch on Redacted, which I don't know if you guys have seen. Good movie, interesting which is movie. Like, yeah, very yeah. interesting movie. Kind of unwatchable in many ways, and oh, certainly no one Sort of a spiritual successor to this. Definitely, movie, I mean, it's sure. essentially about has a very similar plot and is based on, like again, like a. <laughs> Uh, a similar incident that, of course, probably happens like every single day in like war-torn countries, but like you know, happened uh, in Iraq. And but in this time, he really kind of doubles down on uh, you know this sort of like realism in like I guess a sort of post like Abu Ghraib kind of world. Although maybe it came out. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it would have. And uh, and like it's all found footage. And it's all uh, un- non-professional actors that I believe were all like really soldiers, I think. Um, I can, and I so can it's like that the, up, the acting is like pretty rough, but like it, it, it's, it makes the whole experience like very harrowing because it's like in the, you know, security camera, like one of the guys has a handheld like recorder or whatever. And like, it's, it's about kind of this, a similar type of incident. And again, like, sort of a movie that nobody saw. I saw it at the New York Film Festival in 2007 or whatever when it came out. And I don't know. I mean, I think like maybe Magnolia gave it a small release like later, but it really didn't, wasn't a blip on the radar, but it's a pretty fascinating movie. And especially a guy that like is famous for, you know, his camera work to even just watch him do a found footage movie is pretty interesting. Um, but it's it's a tough it's a tough watch. It, it's it feels antithetical visually to what you would think of as a Brian De Palma movie for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's a good it's good to shout that movie out because it is it is. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's definitely a tough movie to watch. It's an interesting kind of exercise in. Yeah, just a totally new medium for De Palma, which not unlike home movies in terms of kind of stretching the limits of his skill set, right? He's kind of working with his hands behind, tied behind his back, right? On purpose, right? right? But so then it's I think, also, I think, similar to Casualties of War, it's like it, the movie is just so unrelentingly harsh and sort of cynical and, like, clear-eyed that, like, people just can't deal with it. Like, and this was in 2000, you know, the war was, 07, like... yeah. New, you know, uh, still going on, still raging, like, still relatively new, like people did not want, even if they were like ambivalent about the war, they did not want to think about like 
you know, four American soldiers, like, you know, assaulting and, and, you know, killing a, a civilian, like, well, uh, and look, he didn't, he didn't make a movie for half a decade after it, you know, I, know, he, I mean, we can get to that. I just looking this up, like, it's so depressing to me that he's <laughs> only made three movies yeah. since Black Dahlia. One is like a sort of like, you know, experiment. And then Domino is like, not even finished. And then like, Passion is like okay, but like is not you know it's it's pretty awful. I mean, yeah. Passion he's playing the hits right, and I think yeah, yeah at least you know. it's a completed movie or whatever. You know, you know Domino, yeah. you know Domino. I do. I haven't seen Domino. Domino, I do like. I know that he kind of got it taken from him, right? didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he didn't he kinda... finish shooting it. His first AD finished shooting it, and I don't think he had a, much of a hand in the edit either. Yeah, he, he yeah he, he kind of I think softly you know or I guess not so softly disavows it. I, I think it's still an interesting film that's worth cool. watching. No, it, I've it, heard that. You're not the only person I've heard defend that movie. I, um, I would definitely watch it. Yeah, but but you're not wrong. I mean, it is a shame, and and you hope you can make one more. Though it does seem less and less he likely. Keeps, but I know, but I don't know. The, the guys are back, man. Walter Hill's back. David Cronenberg's back. And you know like, what? Maybe, Walter you know, Hill. Paul I gotta Barrowman's say, back. Like, dead, I, I, it could happen. Dead for a Dollar is a nice little movie. I gotta say, I, I, I recently yet, watched it. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of. It's, it feels like it's shot on a shoestring, um, which, you know, is what it is. But I think he I think gets some great. Thing, we have to if I, if, with all if that, I were yeah. president, this is the thing, and I've seen only seen the trailer for Dead for a Dollar. But, like, if I were president, I would make it a mandate that any director over 70 needs to hire a DP that's under 40. Because these guys don't know how to <laughs> shoot fucking digital. And everything is overexposed. And it doesn't look right. And it's always, like... You know, it's like they hire like they're the camera operator from the last time they had money for movies. And it's like, no, like, like do what Paul Schrader does, like hire a dude that's like or or a lady that's like our age and like knows how to work with the tools that we have now, you know? Yeah, I mean, Chad. Yeah, dead for a dollar. You're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that, Chad. Yeah, yeah I'm just I I'm just know. warning you. You're yeah. gonna see a lot of that. I know. But so, you're totally you're totally right. I mean, you're totally right. Or or just buy them, you know, somebody find them some film stock that they could just <laughs> I load know, it. Dude, right? It really doesn't cost it co- like you really do the numbers, it's whole transform this thing has transformed. Like it costs a, an extra like maybe like a hundred, two hundred grand, three hundred yeah. at max to shoot on film. Like it's not that crazy, you know? I like know, come man, on, guys. I know. I know. <laughs> but so but so um yeah, move I'll I'll, I'll move us along, Con. So so basically so right, so you have Casualties of War, not a hit, right? There's kind of a one-two punch of that, and then we mentioned it, the Bonfire of the Vanities, which right. really is an explosion, right? It's like and that, the production's that was chaotic, a very public failure. Yeah, it's like he's down and out, and he's here. kind of, yeah. and he's he he kind of slips into making it. He kind of is ambivalent about making it. He kind of knows that the Tom Wolf book is its own you know, huge thing that he really shouldn't touch. He's basically right. They basically force him to cast Bruce Willis in the Peter Fowl role, which is, if you read the book, is just one of the most insane decisions you could ever I, yeah, make. I, that's what I've read. It feels like that's a disastrous decision, and then it kind of goes from there. And even Hanks, it looks weirder now because Hanks is Hanks. But even at the time, him playing Sherman McCoy is such a stretch. And, like, you know who would even have done a better job? I mean, honestly, you know who would have done a better job playing Sherman McCoy? Michael J. Fox. Like, oh, interesting. You know, just just because if you know the character from the book, which is, look, Tom Wolfe, I love his writing. I've read a few of his books. Um, I love that book. I love um, 
you know, I love a couple other books he's written and um, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting adaptation. It's extremely flawed, definitely worth watching, but it's an, it's a, it's an atomic bomb nearly ruins his career. He kind of is able to get back into it by making raising Cain, which is kind of like sold as like, De Palma's back in pervert land a little right. bit. Like they're yeah, kind of like, yeah. that's, that's kind of playing the hits as well. Although I think Raising Cain is very good and like definitely a, a better movie. And he than makes it, yeah, and he Passion. makes it for cheap. And it's he, cheap for sure, but it's not as good of a movie as Dress to Kill, for example. Right. Which like, no, it's but it's, but it's, you know, he, he casts, you know, John Lithgow, who's like a, a B star. You know, Gail Ann Hurd is his, I think, did, were they married at a certain they point? They were, no, they, and I think, I think at the time, they basically so she oh, no. she really she champions she wait is cha- she in it i thought it was lolita Divin- no, no, uh, no no the no, producer Galen, her, the producer uh, produced oh I'm, of course yeah. of course yeah yeah, yeah. so, so uh, galen uh, heard uh, I think yeah, yeah 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 she she really really like gets it made yeah. right and i think you have to your point chad lithgow and lolita davidovich are kind of you know great actors but like not they're not getting huge rates no this is this is a quote on you know it's not a b movie but this is like a this is a b studio movie and the this genesis is not... the genesis of it really is like de palma and galen heard like they just wanted to like find a movie to make together and so like that's kind of and then isn't there out. i i forget which it is because i've seen both versions but like it's either the theatrical cut is like out of order but his the script originally was uh, chronological or it's the opposite but, I've, only um, seen, I've only seen one version of the movie but he does talk about that movie about this movie in that context where it's like he he constructed the movie a certain way and then as he was putting it all together realized that like the lithgow stuff just played better than the davidovich stuff yeah, did I and think, so i think what it is is that there it's um well we should remember this but i'm pretty it's funny because it relates to private property a little bit and like he never did an official director's cut but there's a there was a fan edit of putting it in the different order and then he sort of endorsed that and then it's on one of the blu-rays like like blu-ray or something like that it it reminds me of i I love i mean this is different but it reminds me of the limey with soderbergh where he put it all together and was like and then soderbergh was like i love what soderbergh was like oh this is like one of the most boring movies i've ever seen we got to do something different i like (laughs) love that story like soderbergh made the movie and watched it was like i mean that is kind of what happened with raising cane like he yeah. De Palma basically as he was making the movie and looking at dailies and stuff like I think realized that the that the Davidovich portion of the movie wasn't really as interesting or as strong so he just kind of restructured the movie and brought yeah. all of the Lithgow stuff kind of Up. F- forward yeah um, and so that so Raising Kane does well enough and I think obviously he has his whole 80s to fall back on and this is still in the age of like directors are getting budgets you know especially white male directors obviously who can kind of claim some cachet that's recent so even even the stink of bonfire the modest success of raising cane kind of floats him and then he makes carlito's way which is a big hit and it for my money um 
save one, one movie. Yeah, I was gonna say save movies, save yeah. one movie, which we're gonna get to next. Yeah. Is his best movie? It's his second best yeah. movie. I think and Carlito's movie, way is the movie you're talking about is uh, is Mission to Mars, right? That's is right. the <laughs> black doll. Is the black doll? Yeah. No, um, no. I think I agree. I mean, Carlito's, I Carlito's way is an way absolute is, 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 stunner. It's a masterpiece. Oh, an incredible movie. I uh, yeah. speaking of movies, you can show to anybody. I showed it to my dad a couple years ago. And I was like, I was, you know, I'm always like pitching him movies to watch or whatever. And like, he always wants, it's funny because he always wants to watch whatever new movies are out. And I'm like, you don't like any of the new movies. Why don't I show you like cool movies from the 80s and 90s that you like missed? And so this one, I'm like, yeah, it's a movie about like, you know, a gangster, like, you know, who gets out on a technicality and he's like kind of trying to get his life back together, sort of, but like really is just kind of being drawn back into the underworld and it stars Al Pacino. And Sean Penn, and he was like, "What? Like, when was this?" <laughs> yeah, it does yeah. feel like. It, he was yeah. like, "This movie is incredible." Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those movies that, like, you know, I'm not a huge Scarface fan, and I know people love. You know, it's a very vulgar, you know, vulgar, alterist movie, and I get it, and I love that people love it. Not it's one certainly, of my favorite De Palma movies. Certainly not one of my favorite De Palmas. I really think it's kind of. I, look, I think it's a crock of shit. I really don't like that movie. But, <laughs> but, 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 oh, but, but, wow. but, I don't but, feel that way, but yeah. But, but, Carlito's Way to me is the. Is like the refined the, version. No, actually, this is what I meant yeah. a little bit of it. And I, and I, and I, yeah, it's like, like Penelope the, and like Miller is so Pooh, good. It's like the Winnie the Pooh meme. Like Carlito's Way is the Winnie the Pooh with the uh, tuxedo <laughs> exactly. on. Yeah. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> and I think, like, you know, the thing, you know, I always get a little defensive when people do, when people make fun of Pacino and, you know, lovingly, I get it. Like when they, you know, after sin of a woman, all the yelling, blah, blah, blah. Like they make that joke all the time. I always get a little defensive because I'm kind of like, that's not really true. Like this is the, you, we're forgetting about insomnia. We're forgetting about people I know. The, we're forgetting about Carlita's way. We're yeah. forgetting about the insider. Yeah. Yeah. The insider is like, I mean, the top five. But I do, Pacino I do think we should acknowledge that like it did like, Son of a Woman is bad. Al Pacino is bad in it. And he made, won an Oscar for one of his worst performances at the time. Ain't, and, ain't that uh, always the way it goes? And, <laughs> but isn't, but of, was that same year? I do think that yeah. poisons your brain a little bit as as an artist. Like, But that like same that. year, same year was nominated for one of his better performances I as Ricky, Ro yeah. Ricky Roma mm -hmm. in the James Foley movie. Um, he should have won for that. Well, really, won I mean, of that. course he should have won in the seven. He should have won for Godfather Part Two or Dark Day Afternoon obviously and like so, chad chad not even a nomination for bobby deerfield which no i'm just kidding um <laughs> i haven't seen that movie that movie and look nobody loves Sidney pollock more than this uh this norm core guy right here and uh bobby I deerfield should see that. i mean the one the the the, 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 the the joke i would make with that for that is uh scarecrow uh which is one of my favorite movies of the seven no that no, is no, incredible no, no revolution talk here that's no, a great well dude hang on wait 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 let <laughs> me tell you one of, one of the greatest you guys did an al pacino b-side that's why you see all these <laughs> fucking movies well, let me tell you something one of my greatest ex live screening experiences ever was going to Cinema Village to see Revolution in theaters with Hugh Hudson, the director, and Al Pacino in Hold attendance. On. We have to be respectful. I believe it was the Quad. I think the Quad. Oh, yeah, the Quad. I'm sorry, the Quad. Not Cinema Village. Sorry, the Quad. Because Cinema Village doesn't do cool retro. I know. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 
the quad. So at the quad, one of the coolest experiences ever was seeing that really interesting movie, Revolution. Not a great movie, but obviously a very interesting epic movie that the guy who made Chariots of Fire made that was like just such a catastrophe that Pacino retired from acting for four years. That was how much of a catastrophe it was. People like don't realize this. He didn't make a movie for the back half of the 80s because of Revolution. He was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. And the <laughs> fact the fact that Pacino came to that screening, I just think is like one of the coolest things ever where you're just like, dude, you stopped doing your job for four years because of this. But anyway, Carlito's that's, way. That's very cool, actually. Yeah. And it's a, yeah, it's just an interesting movie to watch. Um, and so Carlito's way, big hit. And then um, as a couple other things are not really sparking and Sidney Pollack ultimately drops out of directing Mission Impossible because, you know, him and Cruz. Oh, my were God. Could you imagine he, well, him and Cruz. Um, so he, him and Cruz were gonna. They had done the firm. I was gonna firm. make a joke and say like how boring that movie would be. No, it would have been good. Like, it just would have been a no, different like, movie. The firm is great, and like you know, it's. I, yeah, well, so I mean, Pollock. So Pollock. So Pollock. I think, according to stuff I've read and what have you, I think Pollock basically got a little tired of the development process with Cruz because I think Cruz, yeah. obviously, as we know now, <laughs> Cruz yeah. basically. You know that he was producing that movie, and I think that meant yeah, a lot and to him. His first movie he produced, and like all this stuff, yeah. And I think so. He catches the Palma at the right moment, like at a dinner party at like Steven Spielberg's house, and is like, "Hey, you make this movie with me." And and, and maybe yeah. this is a stretch a little bit, but I think it's like there's something to be said for like Pollock is a is a true slash director you know like a producer he, first yeah like and he you know he I, i'm sure he, he i would imagine that he produced almost every movie he directed and then he produced many movies that he did not direct and i just checked before i made this point but the palma only has producer credits on four movies and so like i'm sure those were all kind of nominal and you can see like you could see him thinking like he understands himself as the director, you know? Yeah. And like, he even talks about some of his movies sometimes that way, where he's like, well, I didn't write that one. Like, I just like, you know, that wasn't my, you know, the untouchables isn't my movie. I just like knew how to shoot it or whatever, you know? And it's like, I think that like for mission impossible, where like, you know, is the kind of beginning of the percolations of like Cruz as a And then you also have these like two, you know, huge writers kind of in the mix of this too, David Kep and, and uh, Robert, Robert Town. Town. Yeah. And like also both of which were sort of aligned with one or the other. And like, you know, like I think well, yeah, Kep so was, Kep, so Kep Kep was, was, with Kep De was Palma De Palma's and, guy and Town yeah, and was, and was Town Cruz's was guy. Cruz's guy. Yeah. And, and like, you know, they all kind of, you know, at least I, I'm sure it wasn't very harmonious or easy, but like they did all kind of come together to make a great movie and I think part of that is, is that like the Palma in a way, like when he's doing those type of movies, he's just like, he doesn't get, he's like, just write me the set pieces, like write yeah. me cool shit. I can shoot, you know? Well, and and I'm it's like, funny. And to your point, the next movie he makes snake eyes is like kept just going nuts. Just yeah. doing that. Yeah. Like and that's so, yeah. what that movie is. And, and it's, it's a, it's a whole, the whole movie is based around one set piece. And then we yeah. dissect that set and, piece the whole and, time. Yeah. And I do think snake eyes is kind of the, um, like, you know, obviously, Blank Check, very popular podcast. They talk about Blank. But, like, the blankest check he ever gets 
the biggest blankest check. Snake is eyes, sna- you is think snake eyes. Yeah, because hmm. just because just because. But did missions, that movie cost that much? Well, but but it, it had a very healthy budget. Nick Cage at his at his biggest star level, right? And and I think it's Carlito's a hit, Mission's a smash, and it's yeah. like De Palma's good buddy Kep just make write this movie where I can just do every single thing at at the highest price point. I, yeah. I want to do and you it's catch true. everybody no, I yeah, want. that's a stupid question of mine that was that movie that expensive because it's like you think about like these you know all these acrobatics he does like with the camera even in bonfire of the vanities like the opening of it it's like snake eyes is doing that with like you know a thousand people in the crowd yeah. like, that's what i'm saying it's, it's, like, it's, it's a huge and also movie had, and if, if yeah. i recall had like an unused vfx heavy ending oh yeah doesn't um, it it's supposed to end with like this big like flood or something yeah, the, the, the whole yeah. time the hurricane's coming yeah, yeah. Right, um, right, right. and then and then at the end they kind of they kind of they kind of I shirk it i watched it recently like it, it's incredibly entertaining and like cage yeah. is like oh yeah the perfect level of cageness, you know, yeah. and I wish they would have worked together again. Oh, I should, I should bring this up because it's always my answer to this. When people ask about like the great unmade projects, do you know about this other cage, uh, the Palma movie that almost got made? Tell, um, tell us. So is it, it was a David Kep script and it was post snake eyes. And I don't know, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, within five years after that. And like, basically they wanted to make, a movie about if anyone has seen F for Fake, a movie about uh, uh, Clifford Irving, uh, the author, the writer, and uh, Howard Hughes. And like, if you watch F for Fake, uh, they touch on this where uh, Clifford Irving was this like you know kind of famous uh, like I guess journalist and nonfiction writer, and like claimed to have an inside track to uh, Howard Hughes, who was like you know in full recluse mode at that time. And like basically sold, uh, and it you know it got an advance or like sold a uh, sold a book, and then it and uh, based on his inter- his exclusive interviews with Howard Hughes, and then it ended up it was all made up, right? Yeah. And so the, and so he's one of the great frauds, which is why it was just partially why he's featured in F for Fake. So they were going to make a narrative version of that with Cage playing both Clifford Irving and Howard Hughes. Hell yeah! Oh. Oh man! Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> I'm like kind of mad you told well, that and, story and, now. And, <laughs> and, Ch- and Chad, and then you do you do know that that version of that movie did ultimately get made, right? So it was called the it was called the hoax. Oh yeah, okay. Directed uh-huh. by Lassa Hallstrom, starring Cheers. Richard Gere's Clifford, starring Clifford, uh, starring Richard Gere's Clifford Irving. So like way more down the middle biopic of well, of that's the, scenario. the same story, but I don't think it's the same script. No, 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 no different question. The question different, I have about different script, that biopic script. is: okay, okay. Did the rules apply to that biopic? Hey, now, or did the rules you know the rules apply? didn't apply. <laughs> you know they didn't apply, dude. They didn't apply. They don't apply. Talk they about don't apply. Un- <laughs> talk about underrated uh, movies that nobody cares I gotta about. See um, that. I'm like embarrassed that I haven't seen that. Because that movie I, is I like, very I like, good. I like can't wait to be a defender of that movie. And that I movie have to is see it first. very good. <laughs> Me and my buddy Adam Drozen, shout out, works for Paramount. We love him. He 
me and him were the only two people in the theater opening weekend in New York City, right? Two minutes before the movie's about to start playing, like two schmucks walk in. We're like, God damn it. We were about to just like live discuss every beautiful Warren Beatty fucking decision in this movie. Anyway, um, but so, okay. So he's riding high. Snake Eyes is it's not a smash, but it does well enough. And then he kind of is still kind of cash and checks. And he makes Mission to Mars. Connor, we're gonna we're gonna pass it over to you. Mission to Mars. Yeah. Maybe I guess I guess I guess I would hear an argument about this being even a bigger swing because it's such, such a huge. Well, it's opus. so expensive. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, expensive. I think you can argue that this this kind of ends his career. Obviously, he well, makes, it certainly he has... ends his. It's almost uh, I feel like mildly by decision because he sort of is like he he basically he, leaves the country. Yeah, he leaves this. Hollywood after this, right? Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. leaves Hollywood. Well, right? he, he's like, I don't. You can't fire me. I quit. Yeah. I I saw this movie. I saw this in theaters. So did I. Yeah, me. So did I. As did I. So this movie. Did we guys? Did we all wait? Did we all? Because we're similar ages. Did we all see Red Planet and Mission to Mars in theaters as twelve-year-olds or thirteen-year-olds? I don't think I saw saw Red Planet because I was like, no one directed that. I want to see the (laughs) one Brian De Palma directed. So I. So this movie. I was, I don't remember how old I was when this came out. Um, 2000, I was 14. I also saw Snake Eyes. Yeah, so I was, I I would have been, I would have been 12, I was 12 when this movie came out. And I remember, I have, I had this buddy, he was like a close, is close family friend. He's two years younger than I am. And it was his 10th birthday. And we all went to see this movie. You gotta do it. And and so we all went to see this movie. And I like 12 was probably around the time that I started to be like, yeah, I like movies and I know them and whatever. And like, I fucking had Mission Impossible, the VHS, like on repeat or whatever. So I was aware this was like probably one of the first movies for me where I was like aware going in like, yeah, oh, this was directed by the guy who directed this other movie. You know, that wasn't like a Steven Spielberg movie. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Well, and you and you got to say you're also a huge Kim Delaney fan. Which obviously, we say. Yeah. who isn't? Who isn't? Who among us is not? But I was struck uh, particularly it, this might be the hardest because this movie's PG, I believe. It's pretty crazy. It is. Yeah. This is like maybe the most post-existence of the PG-13 rating. This might be the hardest PG movie that exists, if I'm being honest. Because like there is. This, so basically, just real quick, Mission to Mars. It's about a Mission to Mars with Don Cheadle. And uh, it's, it's Gary Sinise. I said Don Cheadle, Gary Sinise, Tim Robbins, uh, Connie, Connie Nielsen, Nielsen, and Jerry Jericho. O'Connell. Right. Yeah. And Don Cheadle is part of a mission. And Kim Delaney, yeah, you son sorry, of a bitch. And Kim Delaney, my bad. And so Don Cheadle is part of a mission that goes to Mars. And Gary Sinise, this is actually alongside Apollo 13. You could double program it as a, as a movie where Gary Sinise, for one reason or another, does not go on a mission that fails. Um, but uh, basically, Gary Sinise does not go on the mission. He stays behind. And... They're on Mars and they there is this mountain that they come across and they are getting some kind of weird signal from it. So they they launch a radar at it and this like crazy, like inverted 
lit, almost literal sandworm like comes out of the top of this mountain. And it's like the central set piece to the movie. It's the inciting incident. This movie's also pretty brisk, I'll say. Like it it like really moves and it like doesn't have it's basically like a relatively simple three. Yeah, well for for the act. ending for the ending it has the fact that it's under two hours is insane. Is insane. Like, it's totally yeah, insane. Yeah. Agreed. So anyway, so so it yeah, is because this... I remember the ending being two hours yeah. long, basically. <laughs> wow. So the yeah. this portion of the movie, it's this really crazy, like surprisingly violent set piece um, with Cheadle. You're talking yeah, about. with Cheadle yeah. and all the members of the crew just get fucking demolished. Cheadle's the last man alive. Right. And then it becomes a yeah. thing of they have to then kickstart a second mission with Connie Nielsen and Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins and Jerry O'Connell to go get Don Cheadle, right? And that's basically the movie. And then, and also Kim Delaney. And well, Kim Delaney's dead at this point. Um, I just wanted to say that one more time. <laughs> but but um, so yeah, that's and then it becomes this like, um, right? There, there's a lot of discovery. Yeah. It gets very emotional. It's funny. It's like it is very much, um. To your earlier thesis, Connor, Mission to Mars at a very high budgetary level would confirm a lot of your suspicions. I think like De Palma is, you know, this is the closest he gets to Spielberg, right? He's really like trying to like. It's a very sentimental. It is. It's a very sentimental movie. And I really want to rewatch this. And I'm like, Matt, I I haven't had time. I would recommend it. People people defend it, including yourself, who I respect. I'm like. I truly have not seen it since I saw it no, you know, when I was 14 years uh, old, but yeah. it's not perfect. And the ending is uh, there is a little bit of a level of like when the reveal of the movie that I won't spoil, because if you haven't seen it, listen, oh, I, I kind of want I, you to tell me what happens because I don't remember. But I remember well, we'll being well, if you haven't seen it, listener, you can. You can turn it off uh, now and come back or whatever. But basically, so they, they they get to the planet after Tim Robbins dies in space. Great death scene. It's like an amazing sequence, actually. Yeah, I um, remember that. Very harrowing. And speaking Very of the Spielbergian and... nature of it, there are like these nice little fun beats. I, one of the things that always stuck in my brain from this movie, and I don't really know why, but like there is a Van Halen needle drop uh, in the middle of the movie where Tim Robbins and Connie Nielsen play a married couple and they make this joke about how Tim Robbins can't dance and how Connie Nielsen wants to like do dancing lessons when they get back to Earth or whatever. So there's a random scene where Tim Robbins calls Connie Nielsen to like this one room in their space station and he's playing Van Halen's dance the night away. And they like dance in zero G to this song. And it's kind of lovely. I think I remember um, that. It's, yeah. It's it has, a, it's like weird. It's, it's very somewhere between like Solaris and supernova. No, I, like it's like really yes. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. And he's, and De Palma and what I like and what we, what we, we, you were talking about before Chad, like the thing of like, Oh, he has the chance to make certain things and he just decides to like use everything at his disposal in that moment. I do think for a movie made in 2000, that's like a space, you know, like a 2001 space odyssey kind of thing, which he's clearly pulling a lot of. He, I mean, there are direct shots that he rips off in terms of the cent- this the center of the space station and things like that. Mm-hmm. But but he the the sequence for instance with the like sand tornado on mars that i was just describing for the most part like holds up really well and i was reading about it 
And part of that is because there's a shot at one point where they're running away from the two to the astronauts who die or running away from the tornado. And there's this giant boulder that the tornado had picked up that falls right behind them. And I remarked to my wife, I was like, oh, that like looked pretty good for like 2000. And then I found out it's because De Palma fucking shot it practically and got a fucking giant like 2000 pound boulder <laughs> that he dropped behind the actors. And I was like, oh, yeah, That's OK, great. like he knows what he's doing anyway. They get to Mars. Don Cheadle's still alive. He's kind of martianing it, basically. Uh, he's lost. Right. He's, he's like he's, he's lost he's his mind. He, yeah. Okay. And uh-huh. he's and he's trying. In the meantime, he has cracked the he has cracked the secret of that of the code of the signal that they were getting from the mountain. And he realized it's actually a pretty good. I will say. I'm a big sucker for like a good figuring it out scene, like a good like discovery scene mm-hmm. when things get revealed. And I think this movie does it really well, but it's this unfolding where he realizes that the pad, the waveform is three separate sequences that all happen in threes and that he doesn't know what to make of it. But then he renders it in 3D and he realizes it's basically a human DNA strand. And so then he shows Whoa. that. Yeah. He shows them what he shows them. <laughs> what's been, awesome. It is. It's rad as hell. And so he shows them what's been left behind and where the mountain was is this giant sort of uh, I, I, the only thing my brain goes to is I, I would just describe it as like retro. It's like a retro futurist alien human face like and that's kind of the whole, I think, aesthetic of this movie. I couldn't find anything about De Palma referencing this. But it does feel like him kind of really having a good time exercising kind of like a a Rod Serling type thing. This movie has just in its score, uh, which I believe is Ennio Morricone, Ennio Morricone is which is a, which yeah. is a really good score. Oh shit! Yeah, dude. it's a really it's one of his best. Yeah. Movie. It's one of his best. It's scores. a very I mean. good score. Um, but anyway, it's there's clearly like a, he's pulling through like a sixties seventies sci fi vibe into this movie, that's which I think really is really interesting cool. to like because it's like. I, you know, like I, I was joking before about like Supernova and Solaris. No, I mean, like, it's it way better feel like than somewhere Supernova. in between. Yeah. But like Supernova is like kind of good, but like uh, <laughs> it, it's not really, but like it has interesting things in it. But like it, you're what you're describing is like, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey and The Twilight Zone do not have very much in common. In my, no, I, I don't but he's think, t- even I think though they were just... made at similar yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's cool that this movie has that, but it also has this kind of like metaphysical existential yeah, sort of yeah. like he's, quandary to it. He's pulling from a lot of things. I think from a, to that point, he's pulling from up from a lot of things in the time period, but basically cool. they wind up going into this face. Right. Yeah. And, and the long and short of it is they're introduced to uh, what Tom Cruise in edge of tomorrow would call a wonderful presentation. Um, yeah. Which is the long, which is what you said, Chad is a very, it's long, a very long kind of, expositional yeah, ending it's like an epcot yeah. center which <laughs> now makes me think of like you know what it's similar to is the architect scene in yes it's a lot it's a weird it's a weird way to end your movie but it's also like on a rewatch you're like oh this is like kind of fascinating though because they um, find out that martians are earthlings, earthlings right and so that mars was once earth mm. and it was hit by a stray meteor and all the other ships left to a distant galaxy and one ship stayed behind and went to earth and the essential point and of that, the, that, that was adam and eve or whatever well it was it's, <laughs> yeah, little par- it's paramecium yeah. who become you know come out of the oceans and become frogs and dinosaurs and whatever right, right? Cool. and and there's a whole little visual montage to that effect 
And so the whole oh, thing yeah. is there is one, there's like a little platform that gets left behind essentially for the purpose of like, hey, human, you're really one of us. We stayed behind for you. It's time to go now. And so the whole point is there. It's an invitation for one of them to stay behind and go to the distant galaxy where all of the other Martians went, you know, billions of years ago or whatever. And oh yeah, dude, it's so funny because it shows how striking this movie is. That like, as you're explaining it, I'm like, I'm really getting bits and pieces of like, you're trans, like rem- you know, yeah, you're like remembering, remembering yeah. images yeah. from like. I mean, that, know, I, I will say even, years ago. even when he's, and this is kind of what I was saying before, and I'll wrap it up on this and we'll move on. But like the thing about this movie is I do think it's so representative of like, if this is a one for them, like Brian De Palma is one of the best people in the history of Hollywood to direct ones for them, right? Like he yeah, still, yeah. he still finds, that's well said. That's he well still said. finds ways to, to image make in a way that's like really effective. Even if the overall movie falls short, like, I think this this is just an example of a movie that overall may not work in the aggregate, but like is so many interesting things strung together that it's to me, it's hard to kind of discount, especially because it's it's the only like sci fi space opera that he made that like sits in the middle of, you know, I guess near the end of his filmography. But yeah. that said, God, it, near it the flopped, end. Oh my it, God. It flopped yeah, and he so and, and well, well, and he, he, your it point. Flopped, it really flopped. Yeah. I think it costs a lot of money. It definitely costs over a hundred million dollars. Yes. And yeah. I feel like it, it, it's probably his only movie that costs that much. Um, even Mission highest, Impossible One. Yeah, definitely his highest. Yeah, it literally much. made a le- and this is reported, obviously. So who knows? But like, it literally made eleven million dollars more than it cost. Like, so it lost a lot of money. Yeah, and and and, and I think, um, yeah, this is the end. And of also, this... it wasn't well liked. Like, it, it wasn't, wasn't well liked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. People were kind of like, and what the fuck was, is this? To, to be fair, look, I saw you, it when I was twelve. So, like, maybe that's a little bit of me. And you, you know, and look, you mentioned super, you you mentioned the Walter Hill, Francis Ford Coppola, William Malone, uh, Supernova, right? Like. That right. all three of those guys. <laughs> yeah. it's like, that's like Wizard of Oz, man. It's I mean, like, they all, waiting, they all, I will say I made this it. joke the other day to uh my friends Alex and Murray shout out, but uh they that like Coppola has been like systematically restoring every single one of his movies like sure. over the past like when five Super years Nova or whatever, gonna... <laughs> which is incredible. Like, yeah. and is he gonna do Supernova? Like, is there a Coppola cut of Supernova? That's what I want to know. Oh God, I would love it. But so, so you had like Supernova, Red Planet, Mission to Mars, all like explode, and it's like this type of movie just kind of goes away. Like you know, like the Independence yeah, Day, totally. the Independence Day bump is no more. Right? It's like like, yeah. Okay. No more. You've gone like, too far off the reservation. Like the bank this is closed. Too... Oh, and but dude, add Solaris to that too. Sure. Like, sure. Two years, two years and later. Add, two years add later. Cinema yep. score, like huge flop coming off of Ocean's Eleven. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I love yeah, Soderbergh Solaris, but it's like not even. Oh, me too. It's not even on. Like, I mean, this is a in theory like way more entertaining movie than that, right? Like, it's like, oh sure, you're you know, right. Like, I mean, yeah, that like, is a no, 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 but no, but Chad, Chad's. Yeah, Chad's yeah. right though. Chad, Chad's right though. I mean, that's the like, that's the kind of, what is it called? The uh, uh, aftershock of you know of the end of of this type of movie for a little right. while, right? right? And then it, you know, it takes somebody like Nolan right to have the cachet to make something totally. like Interstellar, obviously. Totally. But um, yeah. but so anyway, so so this comes out 
Um, and then he leaves, right? He basically retreats. He goes to where he's loved, which is Europe, and he yeah. makes Femme Fatale, which is his, his best, best movie. movie. And I don't even think – I mean, I, I'll hear arguments, but I just don't – It's I a bold – I more just than, don't think more than more than blowout. So my on my letterbox, so good. It, it, uh, here's my is, thing on my on my letterbox on my yeah. letterbox. My my line for this. this <laughs> I love this movie, and my line for this movie is, um, I put and Brian De Palma goes for my next trick. I'm going to make all my movies at the exact same time. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what right. I and what I that's love right. about and so Fenfetal is an important movie as as a burdening burgeoning um you know cinephile who then now obviously I produce mostly in my life now as my day job like this was a very formative movie for me because I think my dad showed me Vertigo like the year before I was getting into De Palma like just like you were Connor and I think I read Ebert's glowing review of Femme Fatale which he loved. And I was like, I got to see this movie. And it like changed my life. You can always rely on Ebert to get a horny movie's worth. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Roger knew. Roger knew. Roger knew. knew. (laughs) And so, so, so just formally, like this movie really changed how I thought about movies a little bit. And I think, you know, I felt like, and you know, to, you know apropos of the filmmaker we're talking about like at i was what 14 it was like i felt weird that i loved it because it was a little porny right i felt weird that i could like i didn't feel like i could recommend it to everybody because maybe they wouldn't understand it but i somehow knew even though it was trashy was also a masterpiece i just watched vertigo and it's like it is a beautiful intersection of those two and and it is like like, it is it is a retreat movie too because it's like and and you know it's sad and i hope he doesn't end his career this way but like you know it is the sort of like domino-esque like euro like be Hollywood movie. Like they're not quite like, you know, Rebecca Romaine was certainly not, it's certainly not an A-lister at this time. Not Peter and Coyote like, either. And, I mean, and, yeah. and like, and even Banderas and like in terms of, but Connor, to your point, like uh, about, you know, uh, blowout uh, versus Femme Fatale is his best movie. I think it's like a really good, um, there's a few other examples of this. And I think it's of a filmmaker that you really love. Like to me, it's like, like blowout versus femme fatale is like heat versus Miami vice sure. is like a, blue velvet it's a pick your poison, versus, right? it's, versus yeah, long sure, drive. Sure. No, I'm saying it's like, there's like yeah. the, the kind of like populist, like obvious masterpiece. Like this is like their like totemic movie that like sure, represents sure. them yeah. to the popular audience and is a masterpiece. It's not like a normie choice. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that like the second movie in, in these conversations is like, if you're a real fan like you realize that like yeah. this is them at the height of their power. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? Like, no, 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 that, and this yeah. is them also experimenting and pushing themselves still too, you know, like late, like a little bit later in life. I mean, to me, Femme Fatale, like, and Mulholland Drive, like are very similar movies in yeah. fascinating ways. And like would make a fabulous double feature. Like, you know, they're two years apart, but like, you know, they're both like, you know, these auteurs and they're like in the new millennium kind of movies they both have these like fractured structures. They both are sort of like touching on their earlier work, but also sort of like 
riffing on them in fascinating ways. Like, I, you know, he does I, something. I think that- he does something here too. Well, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a second because it's. I think this is a point I'd like to bring up after we actually like mention what the movie is. So, Dan, do you want to just walk us through quickly? Well, yeah. I, look, what- I'm not gonna. I'm gonna keep it brief because there's a. It's a very labyrinthian plot, but it, and, but and the less it's- you, it is kind of the less you know, the better. A little bit. Uh, yeah, suffice it to yeah. say, Rebecca Romaine um, is part of this uh, larger team that's executing. Do you think that was a Jerry Connell connection? Or Jerry oh, interesting. Connell? Mission to Mars? That? Did she, did she come on the she, set? I don't know if they were together yet at that point, actually. But did like, he, did I just, they date? Oh my I think, god, I think, Jerry! Not only did well, no, I, I think, think they she were was, married for a time. I think. Like, well, I don't. I, I think above his weight weight class. Good for him. <laughs> I think this is when she was Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Oh, okay. if you if you, should, remember, uh, if you remember, we should that. know. We got to learn what she was credited as. I think it's, it's important. She's Stamos. I think she's Stamos in this movie. In this movie, okay. she's yes. Stamos. Yeah. So, okay. so she's part of this um, collection of thieves, and they're they're running a diamond heist at the Cannes Film Festival, right? So this movie incredible it's it, this is an amazing opening scene um one of the greatest the first, things he's the directed first shot one of his one of the best scenes one of his best first shots too which is she's watching double indemnity either naked or in her underwear yep. uh at, at uh, in the hotel room and it's silhouetted by the screen oh, on do, you the guys know what's in, do you guys and know what's in the movie the, double indemnity uh-oh a fatale and then and then in one shot it goes from the screen to the reflection to her to out the window and it's the palais at the Cannes Film Festival. It's, it's great. incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And so then, so basically Laura Ash, who's Rebecca Romaine, she seduces the lead of the film that's being uh, screened, takes her, um, and this woman is wearing this dress made of diamonds. <laughs> one of the coolest things yeah. that's ever been worn <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> they get it on in the palais bathroom, and also wearing is a stretch. If we're going to be wow, no, you have to describe this. It's like a, it's like a gold a snake. snake that's yeah, like with she's diamonds. wearing jewelry as like a top, essentially. Yes. it's yeah. a great, it's a great costume yeah. design, and and yeah. it's worth like millions of dollars or whatever, like yeah. the diamonds on it or something, yeah. right? And so yeah, and so wow. While um, Rebecca Romaine and this actress are hooking up in the bathroom, obviously she takes off this diamond, you know, dress, quote unquote, and uh, Rebecca Romaine's colleagues steal and then uh, swap out the dress with one with fake diamonds, right? So they execute this heist, um, and then in the getaway, there's a double cross, and um, Laura is. Um, she double she, so she double crosses everybody else and gets away with the diamonds, right? And then, um, but then is found by them. And who is it? Um, who is it? It's I want to get yeah. It's it's Arik. Yeah, it's Arik. Uh, Abune is is black tie right? Who's like yeah. the main guy after her? Um, and then. And then it becomes this mistaken identity movie where she basically kind of through luck, um is able to portray this other woman and then it becomes this alternate reality kind of vertigo-esque plus a million other Hitchcock movies. But also movies. Rear, rear Window because she meets, you know, she catches the eye of this yeah, photographer, yeah. right? Um, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. So she there's this ambassador who she befriends and then ultimately gets with, who's Peter Coyote, in the, and then 
at the same time, this uh, paparazzo played by Antonio Banderas, who I love his name, Nicholas Bardo in this movie. Such a yeah. good name. Great um, big name. He's really good in this too. Like, yeah, there, this is the best. Well, he's very well used in this movie. I think this is the best an American director got out of him. That's, prob- um, that's probably up until true. this point, yeah. right? I think you have yeah, stuff like I, I, don't I don't think you can discount Desperado, but like, sure. sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that like, I guess but so. I think he, I think he's very, very good in this movie, and like, he's used his talents, which are, you know, he's a very talented guy, but like, I think he can be used wrong. Um, sure. you know, he's he's very good in this movie. I do love Antonio Banderas in like those two scenes in the misbehaviors in four rooms, which is also Robert Rodriguez, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where That's at true. the end, where at the end, when the room's just like on fire, and she's like, and he's like, Did they misbehave? It's good, it's a good line <laughs> reading. Good job, good job, Antonio. Um, and then and then it gets way more complicated and yeah, there's kind like, of I've seen this movie like four times that I don't even remember <laughs> all of this. And 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 you know, there's suggestions of like, you know, what's a dream, what's not a dream, right? What's in her imagination, well, that's, right? That's when I get to the Mulholland Drive thing because there yeah. is, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a period where like and again, I tried to do my own kind of low budget, low uh talent, low intelligent version of this in private property was that like there's a the movie splits at a point you know yes, and there like, is a there is a centerpiece to this movie that that is kind of the the axis that's like in front of kind of like it is yeah yeah, you know? yeah um or betty or whatever and and uh yeah no, no i'm glad you brought it up because it's this is the point i wanted to make before but i wanted us to kind of get to it a little bit uh plot wise but this sequence in this movie uh this movie makes a Great, amazing use of split screen. Probably the best use of split screen De Palma's ever used in his whole career. Just saying um, a lot. Yeah, and, and Do, I, I gotta say, Domino has a, a great sequence with split screen. That's um, cool. What, what I like about what he does with it here, and I'm, I'm, the, you know, this is straight from his mouth. This is from the doc, but he mentions his use of split screen in Carrie, and how he realized it was a bad idea because it's terrible for action because part of what drives action so much is the action reaction action reaction right and you lose that with split screen if you're if you're showing both things at the same time interesting right? because he and, does do that in sisters so maybe he like sort of learned his lesson yeah or i think yeah, i yeah. think it's yeah i that's how he speaks of it in the in the doc at least uh-huh. And when he gets to this, the way he describes it, because um, I had n- I had not seen this movie all the way through until prepping uh, for this. So what, uh, bro? Yeah, no, no, no. I know. How long Dude, have I been talking I, about I, this fucking movie? I know. You're, I know. you're no, no, over no. here I, watching so I had Bobby seen this, Deerfield I had and seen, shit. Oh, no, that was bad. <laughs> I had seen uh, this. I, I mean, it's a it's a fair point to confuse us. It's fine. Um, but. Best man at my seen, wedding. No, he this hasn't is seen one of those movies time. I had seen a million times in different pieces on cable. So it's like sure, one of those sure, things where sure. I like I knew all the elements of the movie, but this is one of those movies where that does nothing because you have to obviously see it all together or whatever. So this is the first time I'd watched it. And the way he describes that this centerpiece in the middle of the movie, um, which involve it's a, it involves like a city square and it involves just different perspectives and different people in different places. I won't spoil what happens. Um but he talks about how he finally learned the most important use of split screen was like a magic trick, was like smoke and mirrors. Like one of the big problems when people use split screen badly is that it's distracting. So in this movie, he leans into, no, 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 like I want to distract you. So 
I'm going to heavily, I'm going to heavily use it, especially in this first instance of this sequence so that when certain things come to light and then I show you certain things later, you realize you you maybe, yeah, you were either looking at the other thing or what, you know, or whatever, or I wasn't necessarily allowing you this sort of headspace to see it properly. Right. And I literally hearing him say that and then watching it in the context of this movie, I am now sort of inclined to agree with what you guys are saying, because I do think I don't know if this is my favorite movie of his, but I think it's definitely like top three. Like it is very much like a culmination of this dude, even at yes. his, even at his age in 2002, still willing to learn things and still willing to like try things as, as opposed and pu- to and yeah. push himself. Yeah. yeah. And that and like, I think cannot be undervalued. Like that is. And, and to take it to the yeah. next level too. And it's like, I, I agree. And like, so I, I did not see this in theaters because I don't think it, I don't believe it did very well. Uh, no. And no. I, so I saw it later when I started really getting into him. And, um, and again, like, I think the, like, um, the, the slant magazine retrospective, which I'll shout out again, which is really worth reading all of their coverage on this from like 20 years ago, probably 15. If we can find uh, it, we'll link to it. In our yeah. Post yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, I learned a lot about De Palma, like reading all of these pieces, but this movie, I saw it, you know, I rented it on DVD, probably from Netflix or whatever. Uh, and yeah, it's called Autor Fatale, the films of Brian De Palma. It's from 2006. Wow, uh, okay. But that was a formative time for me. I was starting my sophomore year of college, uh, which will get, so they, they did this uh, in, you know, in conjunction with the Black Dahlia coming out. But I, so I think I saw it around then. And then, you know, I rented it a few more times and then I, I got to see it on 35 at Metrograph as part of their their Metrograph from A to Z program, I think, uh, right when they first opened. And like, it really kind of solidified it for me then because it's also like such a kind of, I don't know, it does it all. Like it really works as a sort of like, just like, you know, spies european thriller like you know like it's like a leather it's a great genre piece it's a great art piece like then it's also like emotional and romantic and then it also has this sort of like meta textual like metaphysical quality that like is is really kind of incredible i mean it feels very it feels very french like absolutely and i also (laughs) think part of the reason it deserves to be in this conversation is that and i curious as to your guys opinion but i think that the it has the sexiest the palma sex scene uh of of his entire filmography which is the pool table sure uh sex scene between uh banderas and romaine it, samos that and like, scene formative very <laughs> very essential yeah. to, to my life i yeah. will say yeah and i mean in one in in a you know of for a for a filmography of like erotic thrillers you know like to say that this movie that this movie has his hottest sex scene in it like you know i don't know i think it deserves to be in the conversation of one of his best movies and there's something to be said also about like this movie has such a weird pace to it but not in a bad way where so much of it unfolds at like a slightly slower burn to the point where Mm -hmm. i i paused it uh at one point thinking like oh i'm i'm probably halfway through and i realized like oh no there's only like 15 minutes left like and and mm. it's but I, but it's kind of a sneaky 
it's the sneaky treat to this whole movie is it's the sort of it wraps up in this no, huge it's, it's set amazing. piece it's amazing it's a beautiful i mean this might be oversimplifying it but it is this beautiful magic trick it's like this little bit of like look over here look over here and, now here's and this scene like and then people it all that just haven't pops. seen it won't get it but like there's a pivotal part in the uh in the climax of like the climactic set piece where like the sun reflects on somebody's like cross necklace yeah which like then like causes someone even more even more appropriate to the theme it is in fact a crystal ball oh which is like maybe on a camera lens yeah right (laughs) but anyway seeing that done on 35 you know was like oh like this total it's like yeah. You know, it, it's obviously it's rear window as well with like, you know, the flash bulbs like on yes. uh, yeah, yeah. what's his name, the villain. And uh, but yeah, what is it, his name, it, Connor? What's what's his name? Uh, what's his name? It's Raymond. Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. No, no, no. I just I, I couldn't himself. I couldn't yeah. remember. Yeah. Perry, I couldn't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, no, I yeah, I don't know. I this movie is the fucking best. I don't know. It's great. It's like. It, it it's really good and i think that like i do think it's sort of I, I would if people are just starting to get into De Palma, i really i would first suggest more like you know carry dress to kill blowout you know going into body double and and you know like carlito's way and stuff but, like if you dig those movies like femme fatale kind of puts them all in a blender and through a mirror and like it, you know, it's like it's really interesting. But I wouldn't recommend starting with that. Well, no, no, because I do I think, think the, you need the, the context the, of him as a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah like, the, that's the, kind of my the De Palma, point. Yeah. The De Palma start starter pack really should be, you know, Mission Carlito's Way, Untouchables, where it's like, did you like all those? Like most people do, good, right? And then you know blow out like yeah yeah and then the horror you know the more kind of directly horror you know thriller you know carrie dressed to kill blowout you know did you like those great and then you get weird and then it then you get weird then it's like okay you know phantom of the paradise sisters snickers Phantom of the Paradise yeah. is almost like the one you saved for last, where it's like <laughs> you're kind of but but I mean, it's also it's like way. if you're just like, if you're a, like but, see, I, I don't know. This is that. an embarrassing yeah. admission to say in a film podcast, but I've never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I would imagine that if you like that Phantom of the Paradise feels like yeah, adjacent same vibes. to yes, that same movie, vibes. yeah, same right, vibes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, and I think and then I think you get where you get wild, right? Where you get wild is like Casualties of War is a hard watch. Redacted's a hard watch. Raising Cain gets insane, right? Like Hi Mom, you know Hi sure. Mom. Right. Greetings, right? right? Like even like those I mean, movies. Honestly, even like and then, um, uh, Murder All yeah. Mode, like is yeah, such I a, haven't seen that, and I haven't seen the Wedding on... Party or Dionys- Dionysus, but I've seen. So- Greetings, hi, mom. I, I'm looking at my letterbox and I see 23 of his I, movies. I wanted so. to bring up Murder Alamo. The wedding party is interesting. I yeah. wanted to bring up Murder Alamo because oh. I think it's a good segue into our our last B side. Um, Murder Alamo has a very specific thing where there is a like a central scene in the movie where there's a director behind the camera. And he's talking wow. to a girl in front of the camera uh, and he's like talking her into like taking Jesus off her clothes Christ. and stuff. Uh, and it's and it's Brian De Palma is the director behind oh the camera. Oh my god! And Black so Dahlia, just getting dude, getting to anything. Black <laughs> getting to Black Dahlia. I full disclosure, this is a movie I hated, 
hated, like hated when I first saw it, like detested completely. And everyone yeah. I saw it with, yeah, uh, class of class and of uh, 2009 to, NYU Tish, uh, shout out to the point we all saw it together yeah. at uh, at the Regal Union Square sure. in September of 2006, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, um, uh, when we came back for our sophomore year. So, like, me and people you guys know, like Rob Malone yeah. and uh, and Zach Weintraub, and I think Marie Barty might have been there as a little freshman. Uh, we all saw it together, and everyone fucking hated it. And I was like, I think this is kind of cool. <laughs> Well, well I, I, so yeah, you, go ahead, Gun. No, no, no. Just I just wanted to tee it up a little bit because I I think this movie almost like I put him in director's jail after I saw this movie a little bit. Where like, well, every I, everybody in the world. No, did. no, no. Yeah, I yeah. mean, just like from a because I I had only seen some of the bigger movies from oh, his I filmography. See, I, see, I see, I see. And to the point where like, because I saw this, I'm a little bit younger than you, Chad. So I saw this. I was a senior in high school, right? Uh-huh. And to the point where when I got to college. And oh, you like, got to college later than me. I, yeah, I'm I saw year, this in college. I'm a, yeah, I'm a year behind right, you. So, right, 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 right. So I, yeah, by the time I got to college and like watched Body Double in a film class, the first time I saw Body Double, I was like, fuck this movie, fuck Brian DePaul. Like, I just was not like on the De Palma train, right? It took me a long time to like get kind of just smart, I suppose. But like, well, no, but I also think it's one of those things where like, order kind of matters like you don't like to say that but like this guy's like constantly sort of evolving and like and and commenting on his own ideas and like yeah sure sure where it's like to me it's like like you you really only get body double if you've seen blowout and dress to kill and carry and i do i do i do i am recalling a funny story when i was right before i i was in college i was um I was, I had a friend who, who, whose mom was friends with like a legit director, like an actual Mm. guy who's like made some crazy movies and whatever. And, um, I was talking to him and I was like telling him, I was very excited telling him like, Oh, I'm going to film school. Like I want to do this and whatever. And I was asking about all these movies and he was really being catty and like gossipy about all these different things kind of showing off. And he was like, yeah, I actually was talking to Scarlett Johansson and this is back, you know, she was, a a name, but not, you know, not Black Widow or whatever, you know, but like, I remember him being like, I was talking to her and she's all depressed because she just finished the Brian De Palma movie and she says it sucks. <laughs> and I, I always remember him saying that. And I was like, in my head, I was like, that's insane. She's gotta be wrong. Like the Black yeah. Dahlia, I can't wait. I love Josh Hartnett because I did. I loved him then. I love him now. And I think honestly, if I'm, I think he's, I think, I think he comes out the best. No, I still think that. Oh, okay. no, no. So hang on. Can uh, we rank? Can we rank performances wait, here? Okay, hold on. I have go, a Chad, whole go. thing. Can I? Can go, I go, go, go. I yeah. have a thing that I prepared about the actress oh. in this movie. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, please go. Please I go. I think it's very. I think it's very important, and I think that like, basically, so okay. I think that this movie got greenlit because of LA Confidential, right? Even yes. though it's eight years yeah. later, like these things take a lot and of time. Just, like... just a quick, I'm going to just do quick synopsis. It's very, I mean, oh, yeah, this movie is a fictionalized version of the real life Black Dahlia murder. Um, it's based on a James Elroy novel that I believe yep. is the first in his like LA noir quartet uh, alongside LA Confidential. White and Jazz. White Jazz is the fourth one. There is a third one in there that I am forgetting. Um, but 
basically this was the first novel in that series. Um, it's about the murder of Elizabeth Short, who's the real person who was murdered. Um, and it sort of attempts to directly solve the murder in, in real Well, it's life. basically Bucky Blykert solves the, yes. yeah, yeah. the Black Dahlia murders. And so Josh Hartnett yeah. is Bucky Blykert, otherwise known as Mr. Ice. And, Hell uh, yeah. And Aaron Eckhart is Lee Blanchard. Great name, by the way, Lee Blanchard. Oh, uh, Aaron otherwise Eckhart known in this as, fucking movie, dude. Aaron as, Eckhart in this movie. Otherwise known as Mr. Fire. Scarlett oh. Johansson is Kay Lake. Another great fake name. Great name. Um, great name. They are kind of a, they're like a trio, right? They're thick as thieves. Uh, Bucky and Lee are partners and basically Kay is Lee's girlfriend, but has kind of a thing with Bucky basically that's like always a burgeoning thing, but is with Lee basically because he sort of rescued her from her like abusive, terrible former uh, boyfriend. Um, Hillary Swank is Madeline Linscott, who is this sort of well-to-do sort of uh, not Hollywood royalty is the wrong term, but just upper crust um, L.A. person, right? High society. She's, she yeah. is she is she is Lauren Bacall from or who, whoever the actress is from The Big Sleep. Like, that's yeah, what Lord, she's, no, doing. she's Lauren yeah. Bacall from The Big Sleep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And, and I mean, like to to a degree that's so insane that Hillary Swank was like, I'm just going to fucking try to. Yeah, do yeah, this. yeah. You're like, yeah. Why? So that's okay, kind of her. Hillary. She, is, she would be the she is the sort of the the it's back femme fatale of this movie. Like Hillary Swank um, was like, what if I just did Laura Bacall's voice? You're like, no, do not get, do that. Laura. Just Hillary, quick, don't do that. Quick, quick shout out. You do get a fucking great like three scene performance from Fiona Shaw. Who she is, is great? Who is yeah, she her, she yes. is fucking swinging to the rafters. And Bill, and and Bill Finley and just, is great. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, and Bill, so Bill Finley, like we mentioned before, who was in Phantom of the, the Paradise, himself, he yeah. shows up as kind of a creeper. Um, but he shows up. It, this is his last role. It is nice to kind of just yeah see him in a nice role yeah. for him to be the and last we, one yeah. too. We also yeah. have to talk about the great Mia Kirshner, who uh, is Elizabeth Short, plays. Yes, who plays the Black Dahlia and who really only appears as like a dead body and in these incredible audition sequences. Yeah, the best part of the movie, right? You, wouldn't and you the, agree? And the uh, yeah, I would agree. And I think the the auditions that are like basically like you know casting couch scenes. Yes. where De Palma plays the director. And yes, he's having this sort of like off screen, and it, it's his voice. And he has, and it's, they're doing this sort of like, you know, very kind of like, you know, sexually charged kind of like, you know, flirtation, confrontation, like whatever. And like, she just, it like knocks it out. Of no, it's such an amazing performance. Um, it is somehow both like sad and tragic and sweet and endearing and just deeply horrifying at the same time like you're you're almost like is she gonna like leap off the table and like slit his throat or something like it's like yes. all of these things kind of wrapped up in very one tense, it's really great very tense the yeah. those sequences are what i was referencing when i say if you watch murder a la mode there is a central it's sequence fair. in that movie and i which on a rewatch for this movie i made me fall in love movie. with this movie more yeah, um, exactly. And I yeah. think that those scenes are kind of the key to this movie and sort of the best scenes of the movie. But wait, so I have a bit of a unifying theory about acting in this movie, okay? Because it's very much all over the place. Everyone's kind of in a different 
thing. And like, I think compared to something like LA Confidential, which I think it, uh, of course, on paper, like if I'm a studio executive, even even at this point in his career, Brian De Palma like is a little on the outs, but like, you know, he just made Femme Fatale, which is like kind of cool and like blah, blah, blah. And like, this is totally his wheelhouse. It seems like a layup. Like this seems like a home run. Like if fucking Curtis Hansen could do it, who, you know, at the time, like, and God love Curtis Hansen, but like that was sort of unexpected, right? Like if he can do that, like obviously this guy can do it. But the difference is, is that in uh, LA Confidential, I feel like, I don't know if naturalistic is the right term for the performances, but like they're all in the same movie. They're all playing the sort of stakes together. It's all very kind of, taken seriously and dramatically and emotionally and all this stuff where I feel like in this movie, he's really trying to make a noir, like yes. a classic noir with that it's like kind of thickly acting. layered and pastiche. Exactly. Yeah. Which with yeah. that kind of acting and that kind of style and all this stuff. And it's like, and it, and it, I think was pretty grating for, um, for modern audiences who like were expecting something like LA confidential. So, in the parlance of sort of um, person, they have it and they get it. And they, yeah. And they don't get it. Right. Okay. In terms yeah. of the style of the movie, that's what I'm saying when I'm saying they, they get it, right? Yeah, like yeah. they get what the movie is supposed to be and what the I'm so, style I'm of the so acting is curious who yeah, I'm, what the I'm, style of the acting is supposed to be what they're supposed to be doing okay all right so this, this i don't want to look i'm here i don't want to say our friendship is like very dependent on what you say next no, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm just kidding okay i am so, sorry yeah i do want to see where your punnett square of uh go go go, 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 right. go. so th- this is my theory okay yeah. so josh hartnett gets it but doesn't know it okay he Josh Hartnett is great in this movie and has has no idea why he is. Okay, okay. I I you would I would yeah, I actually yeah, yeah. I completely agree with you. He's continue. like a bit yes. out of his depth. Well, yeah, keep, let him keep going. Keep going. He's yeah. completely yeah. out of yeah. his depth, but he completely works in the movie. Yes. Kind of like yes. arguably Mark Wahlberg and Boogie Nights, right? Okay. So well, he, like, great, great. Yeah. Yes. Aaron Eckhart doesn't have it knows it Aaron Eckhart is lost and he knows he's lost you, the, okay? you are crushing it so far my okay. friend let me just uh, tell you yeah. Scarlett Johansson doesn't have it and doesn't know it I think also Hillary Swank doesn't have it and doesn't know it okay. doesn't, Hillary Swank doesn't so have she it and, and Scarlett are kind of occupying the they're same both, territory they are both they are both at, at at you know in the wilderness but think they're crushing it I kind of disagree on Swank a little bit. I, that was the one I was going to, uh, cause you were saying she was really bad in it. And I was like, I don't remember either way. Maybe she does I, get it. I would, I would say Swank gets it, but doesn't have it. Like well, she's trying, she knows what she's trying to do and she knows what movie she's in, but she can't climb the she hill. She can't do it. So yeah. she's more like Eckhart. So she like, she she knows she she doesn't have it and she knows i love that this whole so this whole explanation by the way this like red thread on a board that we're setting up here is like the plot of the black dahlia by the way (laughs) well basically because the people that that own this so mia kirshner and fiona shaw know it and know and have it yes they have it and they know it 
those two those two unfortunately unfortunately are, for the audience they are not that neither of them are the main characters so but they they are completely locked in to what this movie is supposed to be they are doing it on purpose they are in total yeah. like uh sync with the director where yeah. hartnett accidentally is uh johansson thinks she is but she's actually adrift and then eckhart and swank know that they're fucking up but they don't know how to fix it so my so so i so here's my thing hartnett we've talked about it a lot on this podcast i'm a big defender of josh hartnett i think he's one of these actors who sure he's got plenty of limitations he's very good and and the virgin suicides that's for exactly sure. yeah he's great no he's very good in virgin suicides and my thing with hartnett is like i think this happens with some actors he's kind of one of these actors who was born at the wrong time like and i think you know the black dahlia is a is a moment for him that sadly kind of came and went and, and, and kind of is the nail in his coffin, right? Where you have, you know, Hartnett, we've talked about this. We don't need to go back, but like, you know, Hartnett, it's a crazy story. Like Hartnett's like a model from Minnesota who gets a plum role in this, sh- this show that was like a brief hit. I think it was called cracker in the late nineties. He like gets noticed on this show gets freaking virgin suicides and like black hawk down and the faculty and halloween h2o like all in succession like leads or yeah he's like lead or almost leads right he's like he's like the ostensible lead of black hawk down then he gets pearl harbor which like is not you know anybody's favorite movie but he's like it's him beckinsale at her most famous ben affleck at his most stratospheric and they're all in the movie they're like all the leads and he's been his like fifth movie and this is like a kid from minnesota who was like in a haynes ad 17 minutes ago and then like two years after that it's like oh he's gonna be superman brett ratner wants him to be superman like he is going to become the next big movie star like it was on a plate and by the time they're ready to go, he literally walks away from it, goes back to Minnesota, says no, the movie goes away, and they make the Brandon Routh one like two years later. And in the meantime, he literally makes like an interesting remake of The Apartment called Wicker Park, which I think is pretty good. He makes the Lucky Number Slevin movie a few years later with the same director, Paul the McGeegan. The movie that I've always been interested in seeing that I haven't seen was partially in his wilderness period where he made uh, this movie called I Come With The Rain with uh, that was like um, uh, this, like I think, Vietnamese director. Uh, like yeah. First so uh, that like, movie... English language movie. That like yeah, the so... trailer at least was kind of cool, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, so that movie, I, I I was lucky enough to speak with Hardnet uh, for a movie a couple of years ago, and I brought you up I come this with... guy. Well, yeah, I mean, I do. Why don't yeah. you marry him? No, I would cast, dude. I cast him. I'd cast him in. You know, he would be my dream He's cast. He's for... coming back around, honestly. Like he, if you can get him now, like I, I don't know, you can get a, you can get a movie made with him. Yeah, for a little I mean, now. but but so like I come with the rain. He talked about the the money people stole that movie from that director, mm. and it kind of got buried, which he was kind of sad about. Like that's Domino's, actually happened. Yeah. It's kind of happened to him weirdly, Hardnet. That's happened to him like four or five times, actually, which is kind of insane, but. Like, anyway, this guy, Austin Chick, made a movie called August that I absolutely love that Josh Hartnett's the star of. Anyway, my point is simply, like, I think Hartnett is has the presence of, like, a Dana Andrews 
right, or a Tyrone Power, right, which is to say though they were not the greatest actors of their time, but they were pretty, pretty, pretty people who had yeah, a presence. They're himbos. They're himbos. And so if Ty- so Tyrone Power, you know, is amazing in stuff like Razor's Edge and then he and then they spit you you spin it and he's amazing in Nightmare Alley. Alley Danny yeah. Andrews is amazing in stuff like Canyon Passage, right? And you where spin the it ends and where the sidewalk ends yeah. is a little bit more down the middle. And I think what you get with Black but Dahlia like, John, with yeah, Hartnett I, is is that I, as a peek at that. You get a peek at that. couldn't do like the long gray line or whatever, but like I, I guess hear not. You. I'm just saying, as a leading I'm man, I'm agreeing with you that I think that he's like, like he is like that's why he's good casting in this movie. I mean, I like, think clearly De, pa- like, De Palma would agree with you, right? Like that's it's what it's like, or, or like he Robert sees Ryan it. might be a good. Kind mm. of, oh, that's a great. Um, yeah. comparison. That's a great. Yeah. I mean, I think that like you know Josh Hartnett isn't as much of a sort of tough guy as that but he's sort of like similarly like a block of wood and i mean that like kind of in a in maybe a like a john way. maybe like a john garfield or a sure. you know, yeah. yeah no robert like, robert ryan is a good i just i just watched odds against tomorrow oh that's um, a great with, you know, i i I just watched the Harry uh, Belafonte the set, movie. I just watched the setup. Which, oh, that like, movie rules, rules too. Yeah. Yeah, well, the setup, yeah. the setup is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, love the setup. Is incredible. Incredible. Um, uh, also, same, uh, same yeah, director. Instead of talking about the Black Dahlia, we're just going to talk about like way better film noirs than people. It's funny no, I because mean, it's like it's like yeah. interesting to me how these different because like if you look at I'm looking at the letterbox like uh, four pictures of the main of the four leads in this movie, mm. and it's like he clearly cat like their faces fit in a yes. 40s movie 100 percent. Right? Like, yeah and 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 but just in 2006 they're all different kind of actors right like you have like hartnett who's like this sort of like model pretty boy who's like did like you know some edgy shit and then now or like semi-edgy stuff as like a model pretty boy and they're trying him out as a sort of movie star which like a lot of times what happens is they they play the bland leading man right and that yeah. takes a unique kind of skill like in a lot of ways it's like harder play or it's harder to play this role than it is to play the dude in in uh virgin suicides or whatever right yeah and then you have like scarlett johansson who you know looks like you could have just plucked her out of a 40s movie you know yeah. like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's like but her acting style is much more sort of like, you know, in the Sophia Way Coppola, too modern. Like, yeah. Not like mumblecore, but like that kind of interiority sort of, you know, like I feel like it's like you think about her best performance is probably Lost in Translation, right? Which is all like. Oh, I was going to say. Like, uh, well, no, Scar- Scar- so Scarlett Johansson looks looks like. Like right, Veronica Lake, but she but she acts yeah. like you know, yeah, she acts like you know a Kirsten Dunst or something like in a more modern like right. And then you yeah. have Aaron Eckhart who looks like you know the second lead of like these types of movies. Yeah, it looks like he like, came straight fa- from The Killing or something like but, that. Exactly, like, but like yeah. fancies himself an artist, and like sometimes he is, and I'm not like degrading the the dude because I think he is a good actor, but I but like. The difference is Tyrone Powers, like second dude, whoever that is, never thought of himself as an actor. He thinks that he thinks acting's fruity or whatever. Yeah, that's a great point. And I do you guys get the sense and just for context for the listeners. So, you know, Eckhart, the whole thing here is like as the murder becomes a thing and they're investigating it or whatever, Eckhart gets just way into it and whatever, loses himself in it. 
the, and that's the thing you don't buy in this movie. No, no, no. You it's really the weakest. Don't buy his I, would, I would venture to say he is the weakest performance in the movie for me because of and it's and it's almost not his fault because of also like it almost feels like De Palma's cutting around him. Like it feels I think like you're right. And the fact that he can't sell being jealous of Scarlett Johansson, like yeah, it's is so, a blight. It's bizarre. Yeah. And like it what's weird about it is like it, it he's not really it's a it's kind of an undercooked role because he basically oh, totally and I said is. this I said this to Dan off mic. I rewatched this last night and I will say to this movie's credit, I do enjoy it more with every single rewatch. Like, no, it's once a really I, once I get movie. more on the once I get more on the level of like what it actually is. And... My actor breakdown, which like I is a gift <laughs> now to your you and your listeners. Yeah, it, you will like <laughs> like it's a very enjoyable movie. I uh, and then of course we didn't mention him, but Mike Starr who has never been bad in anything that he's ever been in. Oh yeah. 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 Five seconds yeah. is of course great. in this yeah. movie. Yeah. He, so the thing is, and I said this to Dan off mic last night when I was watching it, like they discover the body and you would suspect that like months has gone by and like, and like what's his Eckhart has gone off the map because the next time you see him, he's like taking over the dining room table and he's like losing his mind. And then the files get thrown out on the lawn. It's been like five days. And he's yeah. fucking, yeah. he's acting with an A and like, it's insane. And they don't sell and it's, that It's been all. literally 72 hours in the movie. They're like, yeah, three days ago we found this body. And I'm like, what? I was like, what kind of fucking weak need dude was this? Can we that, just like, say though, in can three we just days, say there, this is what happened to him. There are two there are two like sequences of image making in this movie that are like up more, there more with, than two. I would but say, hang on, hang yeah. on, hang on. Yeah. but they're up there with like the best stuff De Palma's ever organized. Mm. And I'm thinking of the opening during the riots when you have hardness narration and they're beating the shit out of people and that whatever. Se- to me, that se- I'm still waiting for a director's cut of this movie. To me, that sequence was very clearly designed to be one shot, and it's and it's cut. It's cut, and yeah. like, and the, you still feel the. I agree with you that it's an incredible sequence because you feel the like visceralness of like the staging of it all. Yeah, but like you can feel the executive note that it probably went. It was probably a ten minute shot, yeah. and they wanted the sequence to be. It was like his touch minutes. of evil. It was his so touch of evil moment, use, and they were so like, they had yeah. to use a second camera yeah. and like cut and like cut it up. Like you can tell, like it really feels that way. And then the other sequence. I think is the discovery of the body where the camera comes over that top of the building scene is incredible. incredible is incredible. Like I kind of misremembered it. I guess I feel like every time I have watched this movie, like I just think of it. It was like, Oh yeah, there's like a shootout that happens here. But I so often forget about that beautiful setup where like you discover the body and then like, a whole swath of things happen before they even get back to like, oh yeah, there's this body that was found like behind the building. And it looks horrific. I yeah. mean, like it really, uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't read the. So you guys have read 
the, I gotta read the Elroy books, man. No, the only the only so the only two Elroy books I've read are L.A. Confidential and White Jazz. Which okay, White Jazz, I just uh, just the hardest recommend for anybody. White Jazz, the book is so. But good. can you read it on its own? Like you don't need to. No, read it yeah, you can read it. Like you it. don't need to know the Somebody other. Somebody wants to. Who wants? Who's trying to make a movie of that? A few, well, so, a few so, people. Yeah. Well, so the one I always remember and lament that didn't get made is Carnahan was like two steps away from making it with Clooney and Pine. And Chris Pine, yeah. Interesting. God, and it didn't happened? and it didn't happen. Yeah. Carnahan, dude, like what the fuck happened to that guy? I mean like Narc and uh the the, the Gray like are so fucking His new good. one is Cop, his Cop new one is kind of fun. His new one's kind of good, Cop Shop. Okay. But I'm not yeah, talking Jerry, about like Jerry, fun. But... Like I'm you know, you know what I'm saying? Like Narc <laughs> yeah, is like Narc, a fucking Narc, Narc is a movie. great movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Narc is a great movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that I remember that almost happened. And yeah, the gray, the gray is yeah, almost a great movie. Too. I like yeah. The, yeah, yeah, I, I I hear you, but I think the gray is like very very good. Yeah, yeah. Man, the, Ray Liotta in Narc though, my god. Oh, all right, like R.I.P. R. R. Ray Liotta, like dude. He is so well, like Jason. Jason Patrick's great in Narc, and I love Narc. And Tom Cruise, I need Tom, to Tom, that. Look, Tom Cruise, and Paul Wagner produced Narc. And you know, Carnahan was Which was basically cool. yeah. what I always love is Carnahan was like two steps away from making Mission Three, and then didn't, and then made the A Team, which I just think was it his Mission Three. He was yeah, like, right. "Well, right. I'm just which gonna I do what see, I wanted." Seems do. like it sucks, and like maybe yeah. Mission Three wouldn't be the worst Mission movie if he didn't if he had directed it. But uh, yeah. it's uh, and then the Ray Liotta. I didn't the my R.I.P. Ray Liotta movie was well. I obviously rewatched Goodfellas, but then I watched. Uh, I mentioned it before, but uh, Paul Schrader's Forever Mine. Oh my god! Is a yeah, fucking weird movie. Yeah, that is one of the craziest it's movies. Kind of cool though. Like, I did you know, see? I, did you see Schrader's post when he yeah, died? Yeah. Where he's like, sorry, I didn't make a better movie for you, right? <laughs> that was the Gretchen Ball, most... weirdly. Yeah, like, he like yeah. apologized to Gretchen. Right? That's the right. most. That's the most Paul Schrader shit in the fucking it's like world. Kind of good though. It's like it's not good. Like it doesn't work, but like it's interesting. You know, like it's. I mean, it's it was, definitely I interesting. Watching it. Not unlike, yeah. uh, not unlike a movie called The Black Dahlia. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and you know, so I hadn't seen it again for a really long time, and then. Uh, a few years ago, Metrograph showed it again on 35, and I went and saw it with Rob Malone, who I saw the original or saw in the original run, and he always brought it up as a movie where I was being a crazy contrarian for liking. And then we watched it together, and he was like, "I still don't like this, but like I get it. Like there's definitely stuff to like about it, you know." And like I think it's like it sucks because it's like it's sort of I I won't call it an unsung masterpiece, but like. I think it's a pretty good movie that like you can see like was almost really great and uh it's like a flaw it's like a flawed opus. It's like a very yeah, like I a, think it's cool. And yeah. then the fact that like I mean, my God, the guy only made three other movies, yeah. right? Don't you kinda don't you kinda wish this was his last one a little bit? I mean, given what's after this, yes. I mean, I still have hope that he that he would um, come back. I mean, but like, yeah, like I could let Redacted go, even though I think it's kind of fascinating. I could definitely let Passion go. I, I you know, I think there's some people that, that dig that movie, but like that one to me is like talking about play the hits, but like that movie's playing the hits in a way that I think are boring. And it's just like not passionate at all. Uh, ironically. The title yeah. of the movie. Yeah. yeah ironically, but like, yeah. 
and then Domino I haven't seen. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy to me that he's only made four movies in the last 20, 20 years. years. And and the one 20 years ago is his opus, his opus right. right? I mean, yeah. and only three movies before that he made Mission Impossible, like yeah. one, you know? I mean, he needs his he no, he needs his first reformed. That's what it is. He needs his I like agree. So the guy that's attached to produce Predator, which is this alleged De Palma movie that's about Harvey the Weinstein. The Harvey Weinstein thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this is this guy, I don't, he might be German, I'm not sure, but his name's like uh, uh, Sed Ben Sed or something, and he pre- and he was the guy that's kind of responsible for bringing Verhoeven back. Right. And, like, he produced L, and uh, and I think and he's trying to bring him back, and so I'm I'm kind of hopeful that he will do that. Like, um, cause I, I, I want to see him do another movie, but like, you know, as he says in the De Palma doc, when they press him on this, he's like, you make your best movies in your thirties, forties and fifties. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I it's, yeah, I don't know. I, this, this movie's like, a it gets unlocked for me a little bit more every time I watch it. So I, I think that's certainly for whatever that's worth, I think speaks positively of it. I just think it, um, it's this, not this, one of his best movies, but I think that like at the time, it once you're once you've seen almost all of his movies, yes, you like this it, movie because it has it has enough good of versions. The juice. Yes, it yes, has enough exactly. of the juice to kind of sati- yeah. satiate. It has a little it bit. has like good versions of a lot of other things he's done. Like there is a central sequence where somebody falls down a central like the center of a stairwell it feels very untouchables staircase sequence type thing like there's a lot of stuff like that um so yeah i don't know i think not unlike mission to mars actually i think this is this movie is chock full of things front to back that on their own and in certain ways are so enjoyable and i think just in the aggregate it doesn't necessarily all hang together but i think that's i think that's still i don't know i think that's still worth something and fiona shaw obviously is innocent but his third to last movie probably like and it's i would say like other than femme fatale obviously but like in the last 20 years like that's the movie that most resembles like i would take i think that passion is probably less compromised but it's also less good like Black like his Dahlia heart's not be, in it as much yeah yeah like yeah. and he's talked about too and like he he's diplomatic about disparaging people but he was like you know when i made this movie and it was an it was an essentially an independent movie with european financing and was based upon the actors and he was like when you do it that way like the actors have a lot of power like yeah. that's kind of what he said so it's like and i just think that like passion is fine but like Black Dahlia is definitely flawed, but it has the it it has the old juice in it, like occasionally. You yeah, know? no, I think I think that's uh I think that's a fair point. I think as I mean, I I feel like that's a good note to start wrapping up on. Like, sure. Usually with this stuff, I mean, I, as we've kind of alluded to it, we don't know if he'll make it. You know, we don't know if he's got one more in him. So I'll just I'll start with you, Chad. But like, if he does, what do you what do you want from him? I would lo- what I would love is is the kind of um role we're seeing where I would love to see him go smaller and more pure, like more unfettered. So like I want to see De Palma's L Benedetta, I want to see his crimes of the future. Mm. I want to see a, you know, weirdly you know european financed 
like borderline experimental movie that you know costs like whatever you want to see mil- you want to see his million euro yeah. and like and, and only needs to play art house audiences and like is cool and weird and great like yeah like his youth his youth those, without youth or whatever but yeah. if he did another one of those i would be absolutely thrilled like mm. i didn't think cronenberg was going to make another movie i think crimes of the future so far is the best movie of 2022 um i think l is like if not the best among the best paul verhoeven movies like i i like i would love to see him do that and that seems possible oh, yeah. in today's financial landscape i, I think... don't i would rather him do that and go that route than do like say you know another like say dead for a dollar or even like or even like uh uh dark water or or, or whatever it's called dark waters um where it's like it's doing trying to trying to play to Hollywood a little bit or pretend to be like the old stuff. I'd rather him go full like art house, just make and, the like, thing, small yeah, and, go like, for broke. So no, you don't, so you don't want Chris McQuarrie to step aside uh, on the last Mission movie and of let course De Palma I would love just... that, but Tom would never <laughs> ever ever do that. Yeah, that's he would true. never ever do that. I, know, I think I know. to me a cool. Let him direct a scene. Just let him direct like one <laughs> to scene. To me a you cool uh, play. I think it's a little bit kind of antithetical to what you were saying, Chad, but like I would love to see sort of a double resurrection of him reteaming and making like his first reformed, but with John Travolta and like, I, I mean, would just, that's a cool idea. That's like, sort again, of what, what I, you know, the, that, the version of that I'm in saying. my, yeah, the version of that in my brain is obviously like way better than anything that'll probably ever exist or oh, whatever. Ms. But like, Travolta won't do that. Yeah, no, probably not. It just, I think that would be really nice. Travolta's in the sort of like, you know, the geezer teaser era. Like sure. I know people that just worked on a Travolta movie that was shot in 11 days with three cameras. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure, it's sure, like domino sure. shit. Like, sure. I, it's like, but, but I'd that's the thing. See... He needs his, he needs his pig, you know, he, but needs you gotta his... be willing, but you gotta be willing to, to do, do it, that. Though. That's true. That's a good point. Wait, so he needs, he needs his like overrated indie. But no, but, but no, but, 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 but the thing is Actually, cage bring De Palma and cage back together. What are we talking yeah, about? Seriously. Like, sure, just do that. that. Like, yeah. Like, I just think, I just think it's a European route that makes more sense. Like sure. give me a De Palma, Isabel Huppert movie. Dude. Ooh, like, okay. you know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Like, I, I just get get Vicky, get Vicky Kreitzen on that action. Like sure, like yeah. that to me is what makes more sense for him. I guess is like something smaller, but that gives him control. I guess which is maybe what Domino was supposed to be. But like I don't know, the landscape is so bad right now, man. It's like these smaller movies, even with stars in them, they're tr- they're making you make them in like twenty days. Like De Palma mm. can't make yeah. a movie in twenty days. Like yeah. what are you even talking about? Like, so it's like, it's like, who's going to let him like make something sort of small scale, but like with enough of a budget that he's allowed to like do his thing, you know, and like the time to do his thing, you know? Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's like, give him 35 days, but like, you know, contain it. So, you know, he's only spent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm talking about like L, like L to me is the model. Like that's why I was like excited with this producer was supposed to do predator. Like, and hopefully he still will. Um, although they should probably change the title. There's uh, some conflict (laughs) in, uh, in, in IP there, but, uh, 
And him doing a uh, Harvey Weinstein movie. I mean, it sounds horrible, but like also sounds awesome. Did he ever work? Did he ever work with Weinstein? I don't think he did. I don't think he ever made a Miramax movie. But I don't. I, my my point is, is that I don't think any of his old stars are going to rescue him because it just doesn't exist anymore. Like yeah, even, not that way. Not no, that it's way. Pacino, you know, even Pacino's in the uh, in the what's his name? You know, L.A. Times story. The 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 that producer guy. You know. Um, Oh yeah, like, uh, Randall Emmett. Randall yeah. Emmett, like all these, like I don't want De Palma to make a Randall Emmett adjacent movie. Mm. Like that's what Domino is. I feel like at least in the European version. So I don't know. Well, who knows what'll happen? I mean, I feel like he's kind of like I didn't. Did you guys read his novel? I heard. Not I didn't yet. hear it was no. that good. Unfortunately, yeah, not but. yet. I haven't read it yet. I listened to he spoke with the guys over at Light the Fuse. I listened to that. Too. That's a good episode, which yeah, was an interesting out. episode. Him and him and the was it the co-writer? Um, yes, yes. And you know they talked about mission, obviously, but but they talked about the book a little bit. The book and sounded I interesting. Like I, it I mean, did. It sounded like you know a true like yellow paperback Pulp Fiction, whatever. But like it definitely felt like a thing where it was like, oh, like with Michael Mann and he too, where it was like, oh, if this is a hit, I can like leverage this to make this into a movie. And mm. it sort of seemed like it didn't happen. I guess so. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Whereas, whereas it seems like with man, it's, it is happening, oh, which is I kind mean, of he's crazy. Just, well, <laughs> he just is saying it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> who, who well, the Ferrari, I mean, the Ferrari movie, has the happening, pro- which is great, but like, I don't know. I haven't read he too yet. I can't wait to, but like the problem is it's like, that movie you can't cast that movie like how do you cast i don't that know movie? i mean yeah. dry, like here's my thing here's my thing my 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 thing with man right now is he is making his ferrari movie with the one person in with hollywood the best who, actor with the last movie star the new yeah. last movie star. Yes. yeah who, yes. yeah the only dude adam driver who can open a movie where god like, bless him who's spending like, his entire year making the last michael mann movie and the last francis ford coppola movie yeah. no we but it's put insane. him on fucking mount rushmore but like <laughs> i mean look people can make fun of house of gucci right or whatever but like that movie opened, and that's because I mean of Gaga, I guess. But like drivers that in that movie, not great. But like, don't make fun of that movie. That's like, what that's I'm saying. The yeah, movie yeah. we want to. Have. Yes. That's what we yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. That's more, what we want more, to see. Please, more, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and like, but, but the yeah. thing with I, he too would have to cost like two hundred fifty million dollars, <laughs> sure. and like cannot be cast uh you'd like, almost have to just find you'd have to just literally like wing it with no names or something like do you know what i mean like you'd have to I just mean, that'd like, be cool. i mean look yeah. i don't know if you guys have been offered philip yet but like that guy the, the pacino guy in that movie is pretty oh, i forgot that pretty you're good. i forgot you're an offer pill guy i forgot about this we'll yes, save that right. we'll save that for a bonus episode <laughs> i forgot about the um, the offer paramount plus is the offer the the the, the worst most addictively watchable my jam thing in the world <laughs> yeah no uh, I, I plan to watch it i do plan to watch it it is simultaneously terrible and incredible but it's I, but i don't watch it ironically i deeply love it and that's why we love you chad 
Well, that's why we love um, well so chat let's remind people so private property oh sure so thanks for having me on on the podcast i know we talked for a long time but uh it was really fun i wrote and directed a movie called private property that's a kind of erotic thriller neo-noir that is in the vein of some of these movies that we talked about today it's on hulu now it stars ashley benson charlotte fernandez logan miller frank whaley and jay farrow it's only 85 minutes long so Amen. you can fire it up and yep. and watch it I hope you do. But thanks so much for uh, having me on, guys. I love the podcast and I appreciate it. Yeah, man. No, I mean, look, we'll say again, private property, seek it out. You're a very talented producer. Other movies, movies like Villains, you know, you've been a part of Most Beautiful Island. Uh, we mentioned Long Night, Short Mornings. This is a movie I like a lot um, from a few years ago, also with Charlotte Fernandez. And um, thanks for kind of talking about all these movies. And I think, yeah, like, listen to the Sly Stallone episode because you know your passion for paradise alley like still still fuels me it still fuels me and um i appreciate you even more for that real filmmaker i still haven't seen speaking of travolta i still need to see uh 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 staying alive oh my god oh like i i know you don't no you don't I i will i will say that um but yeah thanks again chad for for coming on uh we really appreciate it and you are obviously welcome back anytime dan where can where can people find you yeah dj mecca on twitter writing reviews new york film festival is going right now uh join us hopefully you joined us at the cinephile game nights and had a great time yes they were wonderful weren't they they were one they were wonderful (laughs) yes as you're listening and um yeah and fathom stories my short story podcast twilight zone type stories we're gonna get chad on chad's gonna write a little story for fathom oh, well he's fun. Gonna, he's gonna do a little voice you know we're gonna get katie walsh oh, my from my voice is too annoying we're yeah, gonna get yes. katie <laughs> katie walsh from miami nice will be on it with blake howard and we'll make it we'll make a time of it but um Connor, I will pass it over to you for a very brian de palma finish to our episode indeed so uh yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. If you like everything that you've heard here, please do rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Uh, upcoming, so this was the first of four of our audience choice episodes. Uh, we still have the other three left to go, which are Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Yo, and Cameron Diaz. So those will happen kind of at some point as we schedule them through the remainder of the year and into next year. Uh, after this, in honor of spooky season, we're going to be doing an episode on uh, some select B-sides from all of the actors that played Universal Monsters. So uh, so that'll be coming oh, up. that's fun. That, yeah, that'll be fun. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, thank you to Adam Blotner for our theme music. Mm. And thank you all out there for listening to our, our uh, appropriately, I would say, serpentine and labyrinthine uh, Brian, De Palma, yeah. Brian De Palma episode. And um, just remember, as you go out into that night, the, the probably, I would say, the most beloved line from any De Palma movie, keep it with you in your hearts, and it is indeed, she looks like that dead girl. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're listening to the B-side.